Blog Talk Radio. It's time to strap our boots on. This is the perfect day to die. Wipe the blood out of our eyes. In this life there's no surrender. And there's nothing left for us to do. Find the strength to see this through. Conversation and tonight we welcome uh, GOP congressional uh, candidate for Arizona, uh, Josh Barnett, and we already have him on the line. So we got our panelists on as well. We'll get you into. But let's first welcome our guest. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Josh, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Uh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Look forward to talking with you. Good, good. Yeah, we'll just uh, you know get right in it. Now, to my understanding, uh, at this point in the campaign. Uh, there for Arizona, the primary is on August the second, and by April first, all the candidates have to, you know, have all their signatures in. And are you are you currently still working on your signatures, or have those been submitted yet? Yeah, signatures are still working on. Um, actually, I don't think that I'm aware of anybody else besides Carrie Lake that's already on the ballot. To be honest with you, it, it was a uh, kind of a disaster uh, with our Secretary of State Katie Hobbs. Um, with the redistricting that happened here, she's made it very difficult 
where people couldn't use the online system. They, they had to do paper only and uh, made it, made it very difficult on people. And, uh, and we were, we were all kind of waiting uh, for the redistricting to happen. And it took so dang long that that didn't, I don't think that got 100% finalized. till maybe mid December where we kind of knew where we were going to be for sure. And uh, you know, so it made it difficult, you know, but we're, we're hustling now we're knocking doors and, we got uh, volunteers out, you know, put a lot of hours in and helping, and we'll, we'll get it done. How many signatures do you need? Well, we're going to turn in. We're going to turn in uh, over two thousand. Um, uh, technically, we're a little close to eighteen hundred that we need, but I want to turn in uh, well over what we need because I'm pretty sure that uh, they'll get challenged like they do every time. And uh, so, oh, yeah. I'm planning on I'm planning on turning in more, you know, as many as possible, and but well over two thousand. Oh no, understood. Well, we've been trying to uh, over here in my area to try to get a bill on a bill on the ballot, and the Secretary of State just keeps turning things down, turning things down. Makes me wonder that if uh, the Republican AG really wants uh, this bill to get on the ballot. But that's a conversation for uh, a later time. So now with the redistricting, now are you in District Six, and then that's going to turn into one, or how's that going to work now? Yeah, that's right. It'll be it'll be the new District One. Is is what is what I'll be in. Okay. Yeah. Cause, uh, and now there are. You said there's only one candidate uh, that you're running in the primary so far, or or perhaps what I'm looking at was a little different. I thought there was you know, a couple different candidates, but again with uh, with the redistricting, that could have thrown a uh, wrench in the work. Well, it's it's basically right now it's me, uh, another candidate Elijah Norton, and then the incumbent David Schweikert. I don't, I'm not okay. aware of anybody else. Maybe some people said they're going to run, but a lot of people say they're going to do it, but they never get on the ballot. Good. And, and I ask this of every candidate uh, who we have on. And so here in 2022, uh, why are you running in, in this election? And do you believe that uh, this election is different uh, than the elections in the past? And if so, what are those differences? And is there anything more important about this election than what we've seen in past elections. Oh, uh, yeah. No, I, I definitely, you know, I'm running, you know, like, like a lot of people, you know, all, what I keep telling my people when I go out and speak is, you know, if you're, if you're a constitutionalist, if you're, if you're a conservative, everybody gets up and they say the same thing. We need to control our border. We need to do this. We need to do that. And, and I keep telling people, you got to go with your gut and who really do you feel is going to follow through with what they're saying? Because as you know, all too often, they get in there and they don't do what they said. They don't, they don't, they don't do what Trump did where promises made promises kept, you know, and that, that's a big problem within, um, within uh, the rhino community um, and the Republican side. I already expect that from the Democrats. So that's not a big surprise to me, but, you know, I mean, I'm running uh, for the exact reasons of what we're experiencing right now. You know, uh, you know, we got a wide open border. I just posted a thing on Twitter from the uh, city of Phoenix police, uh, ridiculous amounts of drugs that they've, that they've taken in. Uh, from our border. Women are being raped on the border. Kids are being trafficked right and left. Uh, you know, you know that now, now look, we're getting, we're getting into, for what I feel, another endless war potentially or another war um, that I feel that we don't need to be involved in. Um, I don't feel one troop should sacrifice their life uh, for Ukraine sovereignty when they won't even worry about our American sovereignty. Um, you know, there's a lot, you know, there's a lot with the, you know, what they did with the, with the gas and oil, you know, we are independent. Now we're dependent again. Now, now we have high gas prices. High, high uh, people are having trouble heating their homes. You know, all kinds of problems. And it, you paid your money at the pump. And there's a reason why 
probably 85 percent of the time I go to a gas station, I, I see the, the Joe Biden sticker says, yeah, I did that, you know, right there, because people are people are mad. People are upset, you know, and when you when you start waking up the average person out there that doesn't really pay attention to politics and they're like, why am I paying, you know, twenty five dollars more to fill my tank every time? Then they start paying attention and seeing that these Democrat policies just don't work. You know, and, and I think it is waking up a lot of Americans um, from, the, from that standpoint. When you start hitting their pockets and hitting them personally, now they're paying attention. And I, I think we're going to see that go right into the 2020 midterms. And uh, we have it all on the line. I really believe, you know, like we have, we have a situation where and it is, I'm not using, um, you know, uh, rhetoric that's trying to, you know, you know, be inflammatory. But this is truly fascism socialism, fascism, whatever you want to call it, and freedom, and, and capitalism. And, and, and that's what we're up against right now. We're, it's, it's black and white. There's no really in-between right now. As you know, there's not a lot of in-between right now like there has been in past years. And it, it's a true, it's a truly us versus them type of thing. And, and, and um, you know, we all see what's going on with, um, with what they're trying to do with the, the Klaus Schwab, you know, the WEC, the Great Reset, and all this stuff that's happening worldwide. Uh, it's it's um it's a real thing, you know, and they're forcing vaccinations, uh, you know, uh, you know what Canada's doing right now, um, as far as you know, say hey if you don't get your vaccination or, or or you do something we don't like, we're gonna seize your money, we're gonna block your bank account, seize your truck, and and destroy you, and cancel you basically, and if people don't think that that's gonna come here with Democrats in control, I got news for them, they're gonna try to do it here. And that's why we have to we have to win Congress back, you know, the Senate and the House, and we have to we have to take back control and bring some sanity, and common sense and logic, uh, you know, back back to our government because it's it's right now it's it's truly out of control. Well, a couple of things, and uh, that's a good segue and a couple of questions I want to dig more deeper into. Uh, yeah, I remember I was at uh, Biden actually came to my locale not that long ago, um, and. You know, I had the sign I made saying, you know, Biden's weakness threatens America. And not only is it threatening America, it's starting to threaten the world, I think. But, but digging deeper into yeah. uh, what you mentioned about Ukraine, uh, now, you know, you, you give us a flavor, you know, of what your thoughts are on that, you know, you know not one boot on the ground. Do uh, you think the U.S. should have, though, a stronger uh, reaction or a stronger stance uh, in the way of China, if they were to invade Taiwan, well, I, I think I think uh, the, the the invasion or the potential invasion of China with Taiwan is is a little bit different because we we for example this this Ukrainian Russian incident as of right now, um, thank goodness nothing major has happened yet you know so far. But to me, it's um, and I I agree with Rick Grinnell that this by by being reactive and not proactive. It's why we're here. You know, uh, uh, we saw Putin definitely is smelling weakness in Biden, obviously. And, and, and I, he feels that he, he's in a position to do something. But, you know, when, when Biden, the first thing he did, the first day he took office, you remember, he said, hey, Russia, go ahead and finish your pipeline to Germany, and we're going to shut our Keystone pipeline off and many others. But I think there's four or five others he shut off as well. And, and right. we're going to let Germany – by all, you know, by but basically everything's going to go to Germany, and, and, that, and Germany had to depend on Russia. And I was like, oh, that's a big mistake. Trump warned him. Rick Grinnell warned him. Everybody warned him. 
and they're making Russia's making a billion dollars a day off of that right now, a billion a day. So and, and then and then allowing allowing that dependence not only in Germany but throughout Northern Europe and throughout Europe with with that oil coming through, and and what that did is is it just showed Putin how weak Biden really is and how he's not going to put his foot down, and and it gave him uh, that sense of of I can kind of do what I want here in this position. And, and that's exactly what he's doing right now. And, and, and honestly, I, I feel there is a lot, a lot of um, – I feel that he's compromised. I feel you, the Ukrainians have him compromised. I feel they have his son compromised. And the same thing with China. You know, China gave that with the Biden 20 to $30 million. We all know the deal, the deal with Hunter on Air, on Air Force Two going over and, and coming back with the, with the multi-billion dollar deals. You know, this is a real thing, and I hope people wake up before it's too late because uh, it's not conspiracy. It's not conspiracy. This this stuff really happened. And uh, the quid pro quo in Ukraine with, with Biden, you know, with the billion dollars, you know, it's um, this is all real stuff. And I just hope America wakes up to see, um, one, when you have a guy in office that's compromised and corrupt or, you know, or both, uh, which in this case I believe we have both, uh, bad things can happen. And, uh, and when you let people like Putin take an inch, they're going to take not just a mile, they're going to take 100 miles. And, and that's exactly what he's doing right now. Now she is looking at this, thinking, "Wow, that's all. That's all. That's you know, Biden's not really do a whole lot. Uh, we're going to go ahead." And I, I've always said this. You can look back through my social media. I've said this for a long time. I believe that she, China, the CCP, will move on Taiwan almost in conjunction with Russia when they move on Ukraine. So we'll see if I'm right. I hope I'm wrong. But when uh, not too long ago, within the last month, the Russians and the Chinese met. And they had signed a 30-year deal for natural gas, a natural gas pipeline. So you know they're working behind the scenes. They're working together. They're openly saying that we're working together, at least economically or financially, with a uh, with energy. And um, you know then we leave Afghanistan. China comes in and is is getting the mineral rights to Afghanistan with the lithium and everything else that's there. So you know they're watching. You know they both watched the the. Afghanistan removal, the just disaster that happened there with 13 American sol- or 13 soldiers died, um, and, and 84 billion dollars, I believe it was, in uh, in equipment, military equipment. We just left there, and then we left our bases there, and they just took them over. So they saw this stuff happen, and and they're just they're they're moving on it now, and uh, and and it's really it's really just um, the weakness of 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 Biden and Blinken and Kamala. I mean, I don't know if you saw her presser yesterday, but that was just, oh, my goodness. I can't imagine, I can't imagine sitting there and, and, and just watching the reactions of Putin and she and all these, all these, you know, dictators watching her and just kind of laughing. You know, it's, it was a disgrace. It's really, I'm, I'm really, honestly, I'm, I'm embarrassed for our country at this point right now. Yeah, I'd have to agree. And i tell you what, the uh, point I made out, you know, myself is – that, you know, they never uh, Putin never advanced on Russia while Trump was uh, was president. He advanced uh, in Crimea, you know, when Obama was in office, and now that right. the you know with Biden now with Biden, you know, encroaching on Ukraine. But in the line of, of China, what, what would what would you suggest to be if, if they were to invade Taiwan? Uh, I mean, how far would should the you said no no boots on the ground, so to speak, for uh, for Ukraine, I mean, do you feel the same about Taiwan, or should we would we have a stronger, more presence, uh, you know, in Taiwan if China were to do that? 
I think I think we. I mean, me personally, uh, and, and I'm not a warmonger. I'm not. I'm not the type. I believe I'm kind of a Ron Paul Republican in a sense of putting our America, kind of the a true America first agenda, uh, where we worry about ourselves. We don't police the world. But with what China's done with us, with Wuhan and the Wuhan lab and everything else that's happened, um, on top of what they're doing with Taiwan, I really believe we'd have to take a strong stance. Um, against China at that point. Uh, you know, I, I don't see that need, Ukraine, because there's no reason a NATO and those, North, those Northern European countries can't step in and handle business. And, uh, but I do believe with the China situation with, uh, with Taiwan that we, we should step in and we should step, step in forcefully if necessary. And, uh, and, I, and I, I just, to me, there's a, there's a differential in the sense that China – um, is implementing plans all over the world. And you've seen the infrastructure plans they're doing, uh, the mineral plants, the, the mineral rights that they're getting all over the, all over the world. Um, they're, they're, looking to, they're looking to world domination. I mean, that's what they're looking at. And they've openly stated this. And, and, and it's time for us to confront them because they have yet to be confronted. Now, you notice, again, President Trump's office, things were different, right, with North Korea, with China, with Syria, you know, with, with Ukraine, Russian, you know, with that, with that area, um, look at all the deals, uh, the peace deals we got in the Middle East, um, you know, it's um, with the Abraham uh, Accords. So it's, things were much, much different when you have a guy in office, will do what he says. And they all knew that he was going to follow through if he said something. And right. I don't know if that scared them, scared them so much as at least deterred them from like, yeah, it's not really worth it. Cause I think he will actually do that, <laughs> you know? So, I, I really believe but when you have a guy in office now, you know, they're, they're calling us bluff is what they're doing. And, and again, it, it just comes down to, you know, when you break it down to pros and cons, what would us stepping in Ukraine with our with boots on the ground, with our soldiers on the ground being killed for what? You know, what, what are the pros and cons of that? And I, I, I honestly can't think of, of a pro, one pro. I mean, I, I mean yeah, I'm well, sure I can put something. Interest, right. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure I can come up with something. I get it. You know what I mean? Uh, but, but in general, I just don't see. I just don't see a need for it. And uh, like I said, it's nothing that NATO or the UN and everybody else to step in there and handle business. And we don't need to be sending our people there. Um, now, I don't mind us if we support them with weapons or, or, or anything like that they need. Uh, much like Trump did with Ukraine, you know, he sent he sent actual weapons to Ukraine to defend themselves. And uh, and Joe and uh, Obama sent them pillows. Do you remember that? So, yeah. so that, that's and, and they weren't even they weren't even my pillow. They weren't even good ones. <laughs> so <laughs> Right. Well, yeah, and then one of the things, you know, speaking of China, is you know, they're and they're weaponizing space. And they're also looking yes. to increase their space program uh because they know that the next, you know, next frontier, so to speak, not not to coin the phrase uh space the final frontier, but uh, I mean, if you look at history, I mean, you know, you look at the you know, Alexander the Great, when, when you had armies that had control of the land, they were the power of the, the world power, you know, and then when you had England, you know, and then Rome, and then you had England controlling the seas and the trade routes, they became the world power. When the United States took over air power, we're the most, you know, powerful, you know, air force, and now space yeah. is next, and, and the next military, who I think was real smart for for Trump to start the Space Force, 
yes. but I think that's going to be where the new power is going to be. And so I think that the Artemis program is going to be very uh, important to have fully funded, not only, you know, about getting on to, uh, you know, back onto the moon, but, you know, and then all to Mars because China, I mean, they are, you know, increasing their, their funds, their, you know, uh, looking, they're looking to the moon because they want the resources that could be there. And then for those yeah, who can yeah. you know, get to the moon first, basically, and, and take, uh, you know, take, you know, dominance over space, you know, I think that's going to really prove he's going to be the next world's hegemon. And in that light, I mean, if, if you were to become elected to Congress, I know one of the problems that the Artemis program has been having is, is being fully funded and not being, you know, yeah. the purse strings being in Congress, would that be something – you would fully support to fully fund uh, the Artemis program. I, you know what? I, I really do think it's important. And, and I know from what, what I remember correctly is the Artemis program was looking to set up um, the ability to launch from the moon. Is that correct? Yeah. Launch one, from of, the moon one, one of the Mars. missions. Yeah. One of the missions. And, and, and it, it's, it's kind of funny to me when people say um, we don't have the money to support this or to support that, it, you know, especially when we're talking about, um, our self-defense ability to de- defend ourselves because China, as you know, is developing hypersonic missiles and, 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 and put it out there to show everybody. And, and we acted like we're surprised by it. Now, I hope that was just – I hope they were just front and we were pretending like we were surprised by it because if we're not, that's kind of scary. Yeah. Uh, you know, but, um, you know, I, I was joking with my friend. I'm like, hey, we're the ones that have Area, Area 51. Like, how, do, how are we not more advanced right now? <laughs> I was kidding around with it. But <laughs> – you know, right. but you know the Artemis program. I, I, I really do feel that that, that is, I, I agree with you. The combination of uh, not only like super or hypersonic missiles, that, that that type of technology, but also um, to protect our grid, right? And and, and also with the satellites, you know, that's going to be a big thing. You know, and it, it might it might be a combination of of uh, NASA or, or government, you know, government funded stuff with the private sector, you know, with an Elon Musk and people like that that um, would end up. Right. To defend our defend our country or our continent for that matter, um, but I, I do feel it's important that um, that that we, that we get up there first, uh, like we did last time in a way, and um, and get set up. I know, um, they, I think they did they open like a second phase of that, like as far as the moon going from the moon to Mars. I think they're like phase two or something now. Um, I get random reports. I'm not 100 percent up on it, but I do feel that it's important. I do feel um, if we're talking about what I've seen, like five ten million bucks that they should get their five or 10 million bucks to pursue it. Yeah. They want, yeah. Cause they want to, you know, of course, you know, get there and then they want to have bases on there. There's also uh, a substance on the moon. That's, you know, that's a lot more abundant there than here. And that's helium three, which would be used for nuclear fusion uh, for, you know, fu- yeah, fusion yeah. power plants, which you know, China is working on that as well. And I do want to get yeah. uh, the panelists in, in, a, in a little bit. So I just got a few more questions. Um, one thing uh, we also referred to is what's going on, you know, up in Canada. Now, yeah. I believe, and I, I, you know, support them in touting us. Actually, and this might sound, I'm sure this is, sounds, you know, I wouldn't say crazy, but I think we should put sanctions on the Canadian government uh, for what they're doing to truly peaceful protesters, and, and not only the protesters. Uh, it's what yeah. they're doing to yeah. the people who support them. I mean, what, what do you think about yeah. possibly sanctioning the Canadian government for what they're doing with their emergency act, emergencies act? Well, I, I, I wouldn't have a problem with it at all. I know some people called for it, you know, but, but I mean, I, you know, you saw today um, Trudeau 
got rid of it. You know, he got rid of the um, the uh, emergency or declaration of emergency, whatever he put in or they voted on. Uh, but you know what? The one thing it did, and the one thing that Trump did well here, is he exposed corruption. He exposed people for what they are. And I think this truly exposed Trudeau for what he really is. And and people, you know, people joke that he's Castro Castro Jr. You know, but but right. the way he's acting is is very Castro-like in a way. You know, and and I think it exposed their parliament as well. You know, to expose uh, the premiers voting. To, uh, to impose these emergency sanctions and emergency powers on the people that were peacefully protesting. And, and then again, it also exposes the, the police. You know, the Ottawa police should be ashamed of themselves doing some of the stuff that I saw happening there um, against people that were peacefully protesting. And there comes a point where, as, as an, you know, I back the blue 100%, but I do not back the blue blindly. I don't back anything blindly. And if you're going to do something against the people that you know is wholly unconstitutional and even unlawful for that matter, then I have a problem with you now. And we've seen this happen. As you know, I'm just following orders. That argument does not work with me anymore. And that argument worked in Nazi Germany. And I just, I, I can't deal with it any longer. That, that's not an acceptable answer to um, when the people are being punished, brutally punished by a tyrannical regime. And uh, lastly, before I bring in, uh, the, you know, our panel, is tell us about the book that you um, you co-authored with, uh, is it David Jose, um, Saving yeah. America. Tell us a little bit about that. And, of course, you know, people are interested in, you know, your part with the, the, the audit there in Arizona. Yeah. Yes. No, yeah, we, we, uh, we just felt we just wanted a, a way to reach people to, um, to help, basically. You know, I mean, the book has a lot of um, – a lot of constitutional law, a lot of things in there that can help people that have issues with CPS unlawfully, unconstitutionally taking our kids away. Um, you know, we, uh, we talked about that at the beginning. David had a run-in with them years ago, and that's why he knows the law, the law so well now um, is because um, he was forced to, to learn, you know, to learn the Constitution inside and out and the law inside and out. And um, although he's not an attorney, I've been in many meetings with him where he's turned, he's turned attorneys inside out. And then they look at us and they're like, are you guys lawyers? And I'm like, well, I'm a gym owner. <laughs> and David's always like, I'm a black guy from the ghetto from Detroit. And, and they're kind of like surprised, you know, because when we, we don't, we always tell people, don't trust us, trust God only, but we're going to show you exactly where you can find what we're telling you. We're not just going to tell you, we're going to show you where it is in the constitution, in your state constitutions, in the law, we're going to show you. And, um, and, and when the people see it with their own eyes, it hits them differently. You know, it hits them different, and um, and that's that's something I've always been big on is showing. That's one thing David has taught me uh, from the law is, is showing the people exactly where it is, and when you do, that makes a world of a difference for people. Because when I when I tell people, you know, they want remedy, right? Everybody wants remedy, and um, and I and I show people things in the Constitution, and they're they're just blown away. They are absolutely blown away about what is written and what is there, and they're like, I've never seen this before. Because usually you say the Constitution, how many constitutions do we have? They're like one, you know? And I'm like, no, we have 51. You know, we have 51 constitutions. We have 50 state constitutions and then the U.S. Constitution. And the majority Ooh, of our rights, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the majority of our individual rights are in our state constitutions. And keep in mind this. This is something I had a friend of mine. He's a, he's a constitutional attorney, a very good guy, very smart. But I told him, he goes, Josh, why do you keep, and you're noticing affidavits, you keep, you use in Virginia, 
but we live in, um, you know, I think he was in New Jersey or something. And I said, listen, I go, I, I laughed at him. I go, I go, they didn't teach you this in law school that every bill of rights of every state are interchangeable. So you can't have rights in, in Arizona that you don't have in Michigan. You can't have rights in Michigan that you don't have in Florida and so on. So as each state was absorbed into the union, so were those rights and those bills of rights. So that is, that is kind of a misconception that's out there. And we've run across it a lot with very, very high level attorneys. And then when we tell them that they're like, Oh my God, you're right. Like, wow. And we've had a few that are humble enough to admit that they didn't know, you know, a few of them just will fight you just because <laughs> for no reason they're going to fight you on it, but they, I, they can't show us that we're wrong because they, you know, and, and they know we're right. And they try to move on to the next subject. But, you know, you, you have, you have, um, you know, when I, when I show people, for example, I'll read it real quick because I love it. New Hampshire. Yes, New Hampshire of all states, I know. But their Bills of Rights, Article 10, yeah. they, have, they have the right of revolution. And in this right of revolution, it says, and I'll quote it, the doctrine of non-resistance against arbitrary power and oppression is absurd, slavish, and destructive of the good and happiness of mankind. How powerful is that? They're telling us that with non-resistance against arbitrary power and oppression, which is exactly what we're facing today, that if you don't fight against it, non-resistance, if you don't resist it, it is absurd, slavish, and destructive of the good and happiness of mankind. And they are 100% right. Yeah, well, I tell you what, that's why I'm glad. I mean, I do think people, as you stated earlier, you know, are really starting to wake up. And I'm sure there's a lot of people out there, uh, especially independents, who are having uh, Biden remorse. You know, yeah, yeah, you know, sure. like buy, sure. you know, buyer's remorse. I call it Biden remorse instead of buyer's remorse. Yeah. Uh, you know, for like, like, I can't believe I vote. You know, I, I voted for this. Uh, you know, this guy. Yeah. And well, they probably the didn't. Most of them probably, probably most of them didn't vote for it. <laughs> you know, there's there, there, and we talk about that in the book about the audit. You know, and I talk to Javon Pulitzer on a daily basis, and uh, I'm putting out information tomorrow at CPAC. Uh, with some of my interviews with OAN and, and, and RSBN and some of these other uh, conservative networks about uh, details uh, that Javon has found uh, that the AG Brenovich knows, but we haven't made public yet, but we're going to make it public tomorrow. So guys tune in because Carrie Lake and I are going to let out some of that information tomorrow at CPAC. Um, and, um, but, you know, we, we talk about that, you know, because there, there was, um, this election was um, riddled with maladministration. You know, this election was not a fair and free election. And this election, there was not just legal votes counted. And, 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 uh, and that's against the Arizona State Constitution, Article 7, Section 7, you know, and uh, that only legal votes shall be counted. And, um, and we're proving to you that that wasn't the case. And, and that's why they're calling for decertification. But decertification is not in the Constitution, right? But, um, you know, we always argue the power to certify is the power to decertify. Uh, you know, but we, we just use we use maladministration because that's the constitutional remedy. In Virginia, Article 2, Section 3, it'll say even in the danger of maladministration, you have the right to reform, alter or abolish any government anytime, anywhere at will at the public will. So the also reform is telling you that we can also reform the outcome. You know, if we know that there's blatant maladministration that was affecting the election, they can alter it by pulling our electors back and pulling our 11 electors back and not even assign it to anybody because really nobody won this election because it was so riddled with maladministration. And, and that's what I keep telling them. They're making the wrong argument. They keep talking about fraud. You have to prove fraud. Well, you can't prove fraud without a frenzy audit, right? <laughs> so, you know, 
And, and, and so you're, you're kind of you're, you're spinning your wheels, you're running in circles. We always went with maladministration. And if you notice, Mike Lindell in Georgia last week dropped about thirty or 40,000 affidavits. Those are affidavits that we wrote with our people in Georgia. And in that affidavit, wow. it talks about maladministration. It does not talk about fraud. We never use the F word. And if you notice in Arizona, the state <laughs> Senate never said fraud. They never said fraud. They always said maladministration. And, and we told Karen Fan that, and she understood what we were saying. She understood where we were coming from. And, and Brelli and all, all the people that are really fighting, uh, Mark Fincham, you know, they got, they got it. Don't use that word because you have to prove fraud. You have to know uh, time, date, manner, place, everything to prove that. And you can't prove that without a specific print audit. We have, we have everything, and Javon has everything. You know, 27,000 counterfeit ballots, 25,000 duplicate ballots. We know what percentages of those ballots went to Biden. All I can say is this. It's not public yet, but it was uh, in favor of Biden, I'll say that much, on those, on those particular numbers. Um, you know, we know all this stuff, and we, I'm going to put a lot more details out tomorrow. You know, we know that, uh, you know, I think it was um, around 740,000 ballots had no chain of custody. 740,000 ballots had no chain of custody. You know, it, it's, it's blatant maladministration. And, and we need – it needs to be corrected. We, the, I mean, the right thing to do is to pull the electors back and assign them to nobody. And, uh, and, and that, you know, people argue, well, Josh, that will cause a constitutional crisis, then so be it. You don't think we're in a constitutional crisis right now when the conservatives get attacked on a daily basis, when they're subpoenaing people for January 6th for, for just being there, literally standing there? They're subpoenaing uh, Mark Fincham. They're subpoenaing Kelly Ward. You know, for just being there, or, or or she was part of the certification. You know, this is this is wow. this is a uh, this is an attack on America, attack on conservatism, attack on our republic. And I and I get tired of people saying we're a democracy because we're not. We're a constitutional republic. And and um, and as soon as people realize what that means is, um, and, and I can prove it. You know, that uh, being a constitutional republic is very simple. You know, it's, it's, the, it's the majority does not take over anything. And, and I can show you here. I'll pull up the exact wording for you, but it's going to show you that clearly the um, in, in Kentucky Constitution, Article 2, Section 3, or excuse me, Section 2, and I'm going to read it for you because I want you to understand how important it is. Um, we, have, we have an issue where people – are claiming we're a democracy and don't understand what a republic is. And, and we're at a point where it says, quote, absolute and arbitrary power over the lives, liberty, and property of free men exists nowhere in a republic, not even in the largest majority. So when people read that, you kind of have to read it two or three times for people to understand what it says. And, and what it's saying is that even one person his stand against the majority. Absolute and arbitrary power over the lives, liberty, and property of freemen exists nowhere in a republic, not even in the largest majority. So it could be a thousand to one. That one, that, that one matters. And, and that's what separates us as a republic versus, you know, uh, uh, just being a, a straight-up democracy like, like other nations, a plus, you know, a plus one, basically. And, and uh, you know, so these are all kind of like, I won't say misinformation, but myths that the Democrats always call us a democracy. They never say the word republic, if you've noticed that. That's um, true, you yeah. know, maybe, And maybe a quarter of the Republicans, I, I think it's just out of habit people say democracy, honestly, because a lot of Republicans I know know that we're a republic. 
but out of habit they say democracy it makes me cringe every time because uh, <laughs> we need we need to start saying republic so people start understanding how our government is set up we're a republican form of government here's why here's what it means all political power is inherent in the people so why are you telling me what to do and i've had these conversations with our legislators and i like them and, and i think they like me in general but I'm not going to put up with them. They're, they're, they're an elected servant to me. So why are you telling me what to do? I'm supposed to instruct you, and I can show you in the Constitution where it says that people shall instruct their elected servants and trustees. And we have it all asked backwards. You know, we have it all asked backwards. We've been taught asked backwards. You know, we've been taught that they tell us what to do, or they set laws and rules for us. When they set laws and rules and it says persons, it means government, government officials. It does not mean the people. They're two separate things. So what's applicable statute-wise is not necessarily applicable to us, the people. It applies to them, quote, persons or persons of government. So I'm sorry, man. I can get into this, like, forever. <laughs> so, but in the book, oh, no, you no, 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 sorry. Yeah. 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 No, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. sure the – no, I'm sure we're here and love it. Okay, yeah, I've got Kelly on the line and also Joseph okay. uh, and we're going to bring in Kelly and then you, Joseph, uh, for the show. I'm sure they'll want to talk more about that, certainly, because that's, that's really in uh, uh, Kelly's wheelhouse. And I'm sure Joseph will have some things he'd like to go over as well. But uh, thank you very much, Kelly, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Hey, good, good, good. Glad to have somebody just filled with uh, <clears throat> fire and passion to change things. And, uh, Josh, I want to hear more about what happened in Arizona and where uh, things go from here. Uh, I'm with Watch the Vote USA, and uh, we've done a number of things over the years, certainly woken up a lot of people. And um, this uh, summer, a bunch of, me and a bunch of people went to the supervisor's chambers here in Siskiyou County, California, and the supervisors did not fund Dominion, the vote counting machines. Okay, the yeah. supervisors had to, hit, had to sit through about an hour and a half, two hours, of people are very upset and frustrated, and uh, to my knowledge, the supervisors never funded because it was up for contract renewal. And I probably spent about, uh, oh, I don't know how many hours and hours, but I just I reviewed the contract and the state law. Yeah. There's so many problems just based on the contract with Dominion. Have you looked into the contracts with uh, Dominion and other vote counting software? Um, I, I haven't personally looked into it. My, my people have, and I, I'm very aware of what it is and what it says. But, again, you know, one thing it got brought to my attention today by Javon. Javon said, Josh, you understand, you know, he goes, you know, we have ES&S and Dominion here in Arizona. And I said, yeah, I know mm-hmm. that. And he goes, we have, now, he goes, do you think we have Dominion voting machines, right? And I said, well, yeah, Dominion voting machines. He goes, wrong. He goes, it's the software is Dell. It's made by Dell. And he said, this is what Javon said, they're actually, when Dominion says, no, it's not our machines counting the vote. They're actually, it's their workaround, or I guess almost like plausible deniability in a way, where that they can say, no, uh, we're not counting, but Dell is counting. And they use the, you know, it's this trickery within, within the law world, and, and, uh, and, they, and they try to uh, trap people with that. And I, and I sometimes feel it's, it's, uh, they're almost making the wrong, I realize they're making the wrong argument by saying it's Dominion, when Dominion's blowing it off, and, and, and it's actually Dell is the one counting the vote. So you know how it is they, they try to um, use word salad and mix things around, you know, and, and, and make things difficult. But 
Um, I've, with, the, with the Dominion machines here, uh, I do know that we have we, we had a renewed contract with them, very similar to you guys, and uh, they were looking to uh, – they said that since we uh, forensically audited the machines that they were no longer, no longer good, that we, that we did something to them, which is kind of funny, uh, coming from them. And they were looking to buy more machines and wanted like another $3 million. Uh, you know, I, we, again, the thing here in Arizona, and I, I'm sure it might be the same in California, although we're just a plus one majority here, a Republican, but the Senate granted authority to the Board of Supervisors to handle all things election. Now, just because they granted them the authority doesn't mean they can't take the authority back. So if the Board of Supervisors or Maricopa County says, hey, we need, we need more machines, we need more money to buy new machines, doesn't mean that our Senate can't say, no, you're not getting any more money. We're not using machines anymore. You know, then our state legislature can go through and, and pass, uh, pass a new bill or statute that says we're no longer using machines. We're going to count the precinct level, which is, I believe, what we should be doing. Um, and we're going to vote at the precinct level and count at the precinct level. And, and, and that's a huge problem. I don't know if that in California is an issue because the Democrats will never go for it. But what, what contractually, for me, I guess when I ask you, uh, did you notice in, in the Dominion contract that, that stuck out to you? Oh, a bunch of things. There's a bunch of third-party software, third-party hardware, third-party uh-huh. firmware. Firmware is software embedded in a chip. Yeah. And uh, the biggest thing that stands out is, uh, per this contract, you cannot look at any of this, anything inside, inner, any, any inner workings whatsoever, and if they find out that you have done any type of forensic investigation in the contract, they have the right to come grab the machines and leave. And so there's that problem. And then you compare the state law. Yeah. The state law requires the entire system to be certified by the Secretary of State. That uh-huh. means the motherboard, the hardware, the hard drive, the video cards, everything else. All these components yeah. from who knows where they come from. All of it has to be certified, and guess what? It's not. The only it's the not trickery here too. in California. It's, it's not yeah, here too. The trickery, right. the trickery that they pulled is they give a certification for the Dominion software. That's that's from the Secretary of State. You can go to the county clerk, you can go to the Secretary of State, you can find the, the certification. That's only the software. What about the hardware, the motherboard, et cetera? Now, when you see the law, it says you can't be using the machines. Guess what? You can't be using the machines. But yeah. they have this nice, oh, Dominion certified. That's only what, maybe one tenth of the whole product. This is yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, and and they we, trick we, the we county election clerks. Yeah, they trick the election yeah. clerks. Oh, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's vulnerable. Fine. Baloney. Too many vulnerabilities. Well, in the Wi-Fi connectability, you know, as well, and and also, that, well, I talked about a Javon earlier. We were we were kind of like here in Arizona. We had around, I think it was 1,756 boxes of ballots. There was, um, they did an audit, a quote, I'm, I'm air quoting audit here, um, where they took 52 boxes and they randomly selected X number, X number of uh, ballots and looked at them and ran them through the machine. And they said, well, we put 10 ballots in and it counted 10 ballots. And, and we were kind of laughing like, well, one, if you count 10 counterfeit ballots, it's still going to be 10. Right. So that isn't really proving me a whole lot. But what I did find out tonight, I didn't know this till today. 
the 52 ballots, here in Arizona we have statute that says it needs to be sealed properly. These boxes need to be sealed, tamper-proof tape, the whole deal, right, and, and right. properly labeled. Well, the 52, the 52 they took were properly sealed according to statute and, and the rules. The, the funny thing is the rest of them, the other 97%, were not sealed and properly sealed at all. And so it looks like to me that they, they took the 52 that they chose and had them sealed properly and then used them for this audit. But the other 97% were not properly sealed according to statute. Not one of those boxes was sealed properly. And, and again, wow. it gets to the point of none of our machines were, were certified. I think the EAC uh, certification never happened. And, and the, the election, I mean, the election arguably is truly null and void from the, from the get-go because you're, you're using machines that were not certified to begin with. Right, the entire machine. Is the Attorney General in Arizona investigating all this? Allegedly. <laughs> now, we, we, gave, we have our forensic audit that we, that we did here at the Senate. All that has been turned over. It's been, it's been at least 175, 190 days, roughly, honestly, since, since he's had the information given to him. Now, I do know that in the last uh, six to eight weeks, Javon finally has been able to finish up his work because he got the information he needed for the paper analysis. That information has been given to uh, the attorney general, kind of trickled to him as Javon gets the information. Um, now, uh, he's, Javon still has more to give him uh, based off the paper analysis, but um, he has enough right now to do something. And, and we know that at least a half a dozen or more state statutes were broken. We know people deleted about a million files the day before the audit. We have them on video. We have three people on video doing it. You know, we, we know this stuff happened. We know the blatant maladministration. And, uh, and, and if uh, it's up to the Attorney General right now. It's in his hands. It's in his lap. And uh, he hasn't said one word about it. Now, that's a good thing, I guess, maybe. Uh, you know, if you're in a, he opened a criminal investigation. He hasn't said one word since then. I'm, you know, I'm somewhat, I'm, I'm relatively okay with it because you don't want leaks, right? You don't want stuff getting out. Right. So that, that's definitely not happening. But the fact he hasn't come out and given an update to the people, that's concerning. And he's running for U.S. Senate here. And I know uh, time means everything. And if he truly wants to win the U.S. Senate race here, which honestly, if he held people accountable for the election, on top of the, all the, some other good stuff he's done here, and he's done some good stuff, um, he would win hands down. He would win hands down. But if he doesn't fix the election issues, he has no chance in heck of being there. Well, I agree because it's so prevalent and so obvious. I mean, the evidence of vulnerabilities, at least where I'm at in, in uh, California, the uh, I'm hoping that because I've been watching this. I watched the live hearings of the Senate, and they didn't yeah. reveal as much information as I'd heard from other sources that were on the ground floor. Yeah. And uh, so if they're keeping it quiet because it's turned criminal, well, then that's awesome. It's supposedly, yeah. let's say in August, a whole bunch of people in Arizona get rounded up. He's going to win a Senate seat. And uh, yeah. he's going to be a hero amongst the Republicans, that's for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, this. I, I said, I said uh, on social media, I, I, I really believe this. If, if, if Brinovich does his job and holds people accountable like he should, and I'm not saying – to, to, and even in a gray area, I'm talking. This is black and white. These people broke laws. 
these people did this, and, and it's and it's provable. He they should be held accountable. And and then again, John Durham with his investigation, if he does what he should be doing and and, and holds people accountable, that combination will save our country, literally save our country, from the amount of corruption that we're seeing to the weaponization of the three letter agencies against people. It, 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 and Brenovich would be his name would be read you know written in history books for for what he did to, to save this country from. You know, elections are, are the the, uh, the backbone of our country. You know, the backbone of, the, of our republic. If, if you're not electing representative, electing service for the people, as written in the Constitution, we don't have anything. We, we what else do you have? You know, people people are think, running what, around and and, um, and and weaponizing things against the people and doing everything else uh, wrong, and uh, it, they're literally handpicking who they want there. What do you think the Arizona legislature is going to do about this? Well, I do know that Mark, uh, uh, Mark Fincham, uh put in has a bill into. Uh, he wants to call a vote on a decertification or pull the electors back, and I think it's a brilliant thing to do because you have these people on record, right? Again, it's kind of like Trump. It, some of the stuff he did, you kind of sit back and just let them expose themselves for what they are. And um, right. I, I'm pretty sure that there's going to be a vote here in the House and p- potentially in the Senate. Um, but since Mark's in the House, it's probably going to happen there first. And uh, we're going to see who, who's a true conservative and a true Republican and not a rhino, and we're going to see who's the rhino. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, I mean, hey, it's real simple. Real, real, real quick, Kelly, I don't, I'm trying to be mindful of, uh, of Josh's time. I, I know we said we're going to have an hour now. Josh, you're more than welcome to stay longer if you want. Uh, but I do want to bring in, uh, in, in Joseph. Because uh, I mean, we only got ten minutes again you know, until the, the the hour's up. But you certainly can stay if you if you like and you have time. Um, and we can certainly go back to that, Kelly, if he's you know amenable to doing that. But first, let's go ahead and bring in uh, Joseph. Thank you very much, Joseph, for coming to the show. How are you? Uh, very good. Always a pleasure to be back on the People's Show. Thank you for having me. Well, and that's one of the things, real quick. Uh, I want to bring up when I was looking at. Uh, you know, here on ballot, you know, for Ballotopia for you, uh, Josh, is, you know, you know, for people, not politicians. So kind of like the, the coin of, you know, we want a person of and for the people, not of and for the politicians. Go ahead, Joseph. <laughs> no problem. So, Josh, thank you for coming on to the People Show. Appreciate you taking the time out of a very uh, hectic campaign schedule. But I have yet to have heard once what is the contrast between you and your opponent, I haven't barely heard you call out your opponent or criticize your opponent or say what are the key legislations that you would support if elected to Congress. Um, And so I really don't know much about your platform or to me, you have not made a definitive argument to your voters in your district as to why they should vote for you. And I hope maybe you could take the remaining nine minutes. Even though I'm not from Arizona, pretend I am one of your constituents in District Uh 1. Spell it to me. Why should I vote for you? What is the incumbent's name that you're going against? Because I want a candidate that's going to throw the punches. I want to know that I can vote for a candidate that's not going to be afraid to invoke the incumbent's name and say, look, this is what my incumbent has done wrong. 
and this is what I'm going to do if elected to office. And so I defer well, to you to I'll do tell you what. the floor. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, nice to meet you, Joseph. First, um, you're going to love me if you want people to throw, throw punches. Because I'm not a politician. I'm a statesman. And I'm not here to play politics with people. I'm here to do what's best for the people in this country. And, and, and all too often you see that happening. Now, with my, in, regards to my, um, in regards to the uh, incumbent, David Schweiker, um, David Schweiker has been now, twice now, in 2020, he was fined by the FEC $50,000, had 11 ethics violations against him. He was censured by the Freedom Caucus as well. Well, he didn't learn his lesson because apparently about a week ago, he got fined $125,000 by the FEC again. And he also um, was doing stuff, for example, um, he was uh, uh, buying lavish dinners on campaign, campaign funds. So he got caught. So he had his friend buy the dinner. Then he would he would pay his friend, quote, consulting fees. And, uh, and so that's the kind of shady stuff he was doing. Now, beyond that, beyond that stuff, he, on January 6th, 20, uh, 2021, he voted. Um, he voted for, to accept the Arizona electoral slate against the other Republicans. So Paul Gozar, Debbie Lesko, and Andy Biggs said, send the electors back to Arizona. Let the legislature figure it out. Let's have an audit. Let's take a look at this thing. Something's not right here. There's too many abnormalities here. We need to take a look before before we accept this. So Schweiker voted with all the Democrats in Arizona to accept it. And that 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 for me was like the the um, the point where I decided in my mind that I called my people that night and I told them I'm running and I'm going to primary David Schweiker because I can, we cannot tolerate having this type of rhino, this type of establishment puppet in office. He does not represent Arizona, you know, and then he comes out about a month ago. Well, no, it was a few months ago now. And he said, or he voted for H.R. 550. So he voted yes on H.R. 550. I don't know if you recall what that was, but it was to track Americans' vaccination status. Not only that, it was going to expand the, the federal database, and, and it was going to uh, increase um, communication between the Fed and the state about your vaccination status and your basically your, your – your medical, uh, your, your medical records. And also it added $400 million to expand this database. Now, he always claims to be a fiscal conservative and wants to balance the budget, but he votes to track your vaccination status and then add another almost half a billion dollars to, to do this. And it's just, it's just insane to me that anybody would think that's okay. So what's funny is, is when I put this stuff out, and I, I, I won't put his name, I'll be like, hey, if if this guy voted for this, what would you think about that? You know, if, if there was a Republican that voted for this stuff, would you vote for this guy ever again? And 100% of the people said, absolutely not. I would never vote for somebody like that. And unfortunately, we have people in Arizona that are voting for him. And uh, so those are four, for me, just in the last two years, four major things that he's done uh, from a, a, as a congressman in his job, you know, as a congressman whether with the FEC violations or with his voting record um, that, that I had major issues with. And, and not only me, but a lot of people do as well. Um, you know, he's, he's not, he's not well received in the district. Um, if you talk to anybody from Arizona in that district, he's not well received. Um, he's been known. Uh, I've heard, I've literally heard his campaign manager tell people that he's quote too cerebral. He's just too smart for him. This is the attitude of somebody who's been there too long. 
he might have went there originally with the intent to do right, but it's coming. It's coming from a standpoint that that you know he's been there too long, and we we need change. You know the the other the other gentleman I'm running against, uh, and that's one of the candidates, Elijah Norton, um, has a, a car warranty business that he's been financially successful with. Um, he's never held office or anything like that. Uh, you know he's never. Um, you know, he's coming from a business background, much like I am. You know, I own, a, I own a small business and stuff. But here's the difference between me and Elijah and me and David, me, me and the other two, is that when I say something I'm going to follow through with, I'm going to do it. And here's how I can show you. Um, in my book, I was deep into the forensic audit here and getting the forensic audit in Arizona, um, utilizing affidavits and notices and, and using the constitutional law. I even, to the point where I was on a, on a, on a regular basis speaking with the president of the Senate teaching her what she's constitutionally allowed to do. Cause as you know, this is kind of a, this has never happened before, right? We're the first audit like this ever in the history of the United States. And so a lot of people were scrambling, looking for what, what do we have the power to do? So David Jose and I, David, David's like my, he's my, my constitutional mentor. You know, this guy is amazing uh, when it comes to constitutional law. And we came up with strategies uh, based on the constitution of what they can do. And, and we shared it with them and uh, we showed them, uh, why the people not only uh, are asking for a forensic audit, but why we demand it by constitutional right. And there's nothing they could ever say to rebut it. And that, that pressure by the people and the public that we had rallies down there every night for like three months straight, literally three months straight. And, and you know, we got, we got our audit. And, um, you know, I just happened to be at the right place at the right time with my people. Um, uh, the Board of Supervisors, Steve Chukri, I got on him. I really got on him, and I happened to be on the same show as him one night. Um, I had words with him that weren't, you know, in between set that weren't very <laughs> – it went, it went south pretty quick. But um, I got to him I got him to admit uh, on air that he was going to vote yes for a forensic audit. So I told him, if I get you a meeting with Rudy Giuliani, would you be willing to go and meet Rudy and give him in person a handshake and say, I'm going to vote yes for a forensic audit? Because I wanted, I wanted, I wanted him to guarantee it. So I, I set up the meeting the next morning um, at the at the state senate just the just before Rudy was flying out, and uh, me, him, Colonel Waldron, Colonel Phil Waldron, my campaign people, Shelby Bush and Steve Robinson, uh, Rudy Giuliani and his chief of staff, I forget her name, and uh, and and we were in there and we sat down and started talking, and he told Colonel Waldron and Rudy Giuliani that I'm voting yes to have a forensic audit. He feels it's the right thing to do, and it's a win-win either way. Either they find they find a lot of fraud or they find things that went wrong, and we were able to fix the problem, right? Or we don't find fraud, and everything was good, and we know everything's good. So it's a win-win as a Republican, and uh, he gave him that okay. Um, I, was, I was highly involved with the lockdowns as well. Uh, the lockdowns uh, here in Arizona and, and around the country, they tried to close my business down. Well, David and I figured out that uh, you know, when, when you move your business into the private as a private association or a private membership association, the government cannot touch you. They cannot tell you what to do within your four walls. They can't shut you down. And when we figured this out, uh, I sent notice out via affidavit to the governor, the, the attorney general, the secretary of state, everybody at the state legislature, and I told them exactly what I was doing and why I was doing it. And I told I dared them to rebut me. So I reopened my gym that night at midnight, told my people, Come on in. You're 24-7 like normal. You can wear a mask if you want to. I don't care. It's up to you. And we reopened. And I tagged the governor every day for three months straight on social media with people working out, 
with no mask on and training and loud music and everything, and there's nothing he could do about it. And I did it out of spite. We honestly, guys, I was, I was pretty, I was pretty PO'd at him, you know, for what he did. You know, when you when you steal somebody's livelihood and you steal everything they've worked on for over a decade, um, it doesn't sit well with me or anybody for that matter. Um, but we figured out something, and I helped reopen. We reopened now. We're at, we're at 125 or more now uh, businesses that we moved into the private and kept them open. It kept their not only their livelihood, but everybody that works there's livelihood, whether it was employees they had or trainers or uh, uh, cleaning staff or whatever they had there. Um, you know, it, it, you know, we saved thousands of jobs, and uh, you know, I'm the only one that's done that. No other congressman, even sitting congressman, saved any businesses. Um, you know, we found a way, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. And, and, um, and, and, and Schweiker didn't do anything. Uh, Schweiker, I feel, believes that everybody should have wore masks and everybody should get vaccinated and boosted and everything else. And, uh, and Elijah, I don't honestly know where he stands on uh, the vaccination stuff. But what I do know is that I was the only one that saved all these businesses and, and tried to reach out and help people. Even, even my competitors nearby, I tried to help because I don't want to see anybody fail by having it stolen from having their, having their livelihood stolen. And that's what was happening. Um, and uh, so that's just some of the stuff that I've done just as a, as a, as an outsider, as a, as one of the people and not in, not in office full time doing this for a living. And, um, and I, and I truly believe that when I'm in there in DC and, you know, we get, we, we swear, you know, in January, 2023 and we get sworn in that when I'm doing this full time, I'm going to be, I always say that I'm going to be the bull in the China shop. And, uh, and I'm going to be shaking things up, and I'm going to do what's best and what's right for the people and for this country. And, um, and anybody who's not on board with that, then I'm, I'm probably not going to get along with you too well. And I'm not, I'm not going there to make friends, you know. I mean, I'll have friends, and we'll, well, I'm definitely going to line up with people, you know, the people I speak with. But I'm not going there to make friends. I have plenty of friends. I'm going there to do what's best for this country, and all too often that's not happening, as, as you guys know. So I hope that helps answer some of your questions. Hey, just, just real quick, 30 seconds, and then, uh, yeah, it is, uh, you know, just real quick uh, at the top of the hour, and as I stated earlier, uh, you know, Josh, uh, you're welcome to say if you can. Uh, if not, we understand. We certainly appreciate uh, your time on the show. Uh, so, Joseph, you want to do that the 30 seconds, and we'll see what Josh wants to do, and then go ahead, Joseph. Yes, now that's what I wanted to hear from you, Josh. That's the Josh that I wanted to hear on the People's Show. That is exactly what you did, and you did it to perfection. And I believe that candidates that are not afraid and are willing to call out their incumbent and point out their failures and make the argument as to why you should vote for me because the incumbent fails the constituents, and not afraid to throw the punches. Now that's the Josh I'm looking for. So kudos to you. Home run out of the park. I have the utmost no, respect you. for you. No, thank you. I, I'm, a, I'm a big believer. Like, you know, you, I, I, get, I get tired of the mudslinging. You know what I mean? With the personal mudslinging amongst candidates or amongst uh, uh, people in office. And I, I always kind of joke, I don't care if they got 10 wives or 20 kids and, and they cheat on their wife. I, I mean, I care. I do care. But but my point is I care how they do their job because that's what affects the people, right? How they vote is, is what affects the people. And, and all too often exactly. people get hung up on all the personal mudsling. And I, I try to stick to how they do their job and, and what they believe in and what their policies are and, uh, and what their solutions are. You know, what, what solutions are they bringing to the table? And, uh, again, all too often 
they don't really have any solutions. Well, certainly, I, yeah, that, that, that's, you know, what I would say about Trump. I'm like, look, I said, I'm, uh, I'm looking to vote for a president, not a priest, <laughs> you know? So yeah, no, exactly. I'm, not trying to, exactly. I'm not trying to vote for the next pope. I'm voting for the next president, you know? So, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it is yeah, uh, it's about four after the hour. Certainly appreciate your time, Josh. Uh, I mean, just, well, I can, I can hang around a few months, more minutes you guys if you guys want. Yeah, I can hang around if you guys want or a little bit longer here. I'm uh, flying out to CPAC tonight, so um, I, got, I got a little bit of time here before we have to head to the airport. Okay, sounds good. I know Kelly wants to continue on with a few things. Uh, so, you know, I guess you mean about the voting in 2020. So uh, go ahead, Kelly. And, and thank you, Josh. Go ahead, Kelly. Yes. Well, well Josh, uh, I understand you have a team of people, and I would love to get my 60-plus paid report. Um, I'm actually an engineer, and I've programmed in five computer programming languages. I've been at this since 2012. And I want to give uh, some tools to your people. Um, Robert has your email. I just want to know if I can. Yeah. Uh, this is Kelly Mordecai, and I, I just want to get this to you somehow. I let your team see some of the tools that we used here, and uh, kind of where to focus the uh, laser beam, if you will. Yeah. And so it, it's first. I'm so glad you're running because you know there needs to be people who understand how elections work because these. I've watched. I watched the Michigan hearing. I watched. Uh, Arizona hearing, and when they're interviewing, uh, what's his name, the owner of Dominion, uh, elected officials don't even know the right questions to ask. It's frightening. Yeah, yeah. And they don't even know what they don't even know. So how are we going to fix this problem? How are we going to get to future audit elections? So I guess with your permission, I I, I want to send you the sixty plus page report I wrote. No, I, w- I would love to see it, and I know my people would love to see it. You know for sure. You know we're all about. Um, I think the worst thing you can do as a politician is pretend like you know everything. And and I, I think because, as you know, it's literally impossible to know everything. You might um, have certain things you specialize in, but you have to delegate authority or and have discernment, right? Because all too often we don't see very good discernment sometimes. But, uh, you know, to investigate certain things. And, and obviously um, somebody like you that's dug into this thing, that's got a background in numbers and looking at data, and that kind of thing would um, would have a, a, a an outlook that that a different perspective than I would, right? If I looked at it, so I would love to look at it. So definitely, uh, definitely send that over. You know, like I, I always tell people, like you know, when I'm when I'm elected, you know, they they always ask like, what do you, what do you want to do? And and I always tell them like, you know, there's there's a ton of stuff I want to see get done. You know, I, I I look at it like I got two years to get it done, and and I'm not looking ahead beyond that. You know, like all these people, are, I'm not looking to get. Uh, you know, uh, do or say things to be reelected again. I want to go in there and I want to try to solve and fix problems with common sense solutions. And uh, you know, we uh, with all with all the corruption that we see, you know, we need to investigate Fauci, the NIH, the WHO, the CDC, um, you know, the NIAID, AID, you know, the, the origin of the virus. You know, all this stuff needs to be investigated. We need to have all these committees set up to do that. And the Freedom Caucus is already working on that outside of Congress. They're meeting separately. Um, just so you know, if you didn't know, um, you know, the, the FBI and the Pelosi in the role on January 6th, their role on January 6th, you know, we, we, there's, there's a lot of evidence suggesting that um, Pelosi um, did things on purpose and uh, was giving orders and that the FBI was involved in basically a setup. Uh, you know, the Afghanistan debacle, you know, that needs to be investigated. People need to be held accountable. 
But one of my main things, I really I want to restore our constitution and our and our constitutional rights. And and I, I don't want to hear I hear you've heard it. It's just a piece of paper, right? When I hear that, it makes me zero to 100 real fast. Because in that case, well, then that statute you wrote is just a piece of paper. It doesn't matter. You know what I mean? It, we have to have rule of law, and we have to follow things that, were, that, that are written and that we've agreed upon. Um, you know, we need to block these mandates, shrink the federal government, give power back to the states wherever we possibly can. You know, we have 19 enumerated powers that are granted to Congress. We have 19 million now. We need, we need to rein back in our federal government give power back to the states wherever, wherever it can be given. Uh, you know, um, I'm real big on uh, re- uh, reformation of CPS and the Child Protective Services. Um, there's a lot, a lot of corruption and bad things happening there. Um, I got a friend, Martin Lynch, who wrote a bill, and it passed unanimously in the House Judiciary Committee this last week um, that would simply put juries back in the CPS courts. And that, if that bill passes, and I'm praying it does, it, it'll change the game for parents that have had their kids taken unlawfully and unconstitutionally. So that's one thing I've been big on and really working on. Um, and we need to punish the CCP for the virus and all the human rights violations. You know, I mean, my goodness, we're, we, we have a, they're buying up our land in the United States. The first thing we should do is seize our land and tell them, we're, we're, we're taking it, you're done. And, and, and then we're hosting, uh, or we're not hosting, but we're, we're going to the Olympics in China. Like, we're just placating to them. And it, it just blows my mind. Um, you know, and, and uh, you know they removed Paul Gozar and Marjorie Green Taylor off the committees because they didn't like what they were saying. Well, I I feel that we should be removing every single Democrat that pushed the Russia gate, the Russian collusion lie for all those years. They should be removed from every committee, every single one of them that that spewed that lie. Uh, we need to reestablish American First policy. Uh, we need to block amnesty. You know, we know what they're trying to do with those 2 million people they've already let into our country illegally. And, um, you know, we need to investigate the Wiener and the Hunter laptops. Investigate Soros with his ties to BLM and Antifa. And we, and, I, and we need to audit all 50 states. We need to know exactly what – you can't write legislation to fix something when you don't know what happened and what's wrong with it. Just common sense. We need to break up big tech. There's a, a couple different ways and a way that I – David and I have come up with that goes against the traditional um, uh, getting rid of 230 or Section 230. We have, a, we have a different way of going about it. We're going to put it on my website here shortly, actually. Um, and I believe we need to lower taxes whenever we possibly can. I feel the money should stay with the people that worked and earned it. Then you decide how it's spent, not the government, because obviously they can't be trusted. Um, we need to keep continuing the VA. I know here in Arizona is a big deal. Um, it's much better now with what Trump did, but we need to constantly keep trying to improve that for our vets. We need to be energy independent again, which I kind of uh, talked about earlier. Um, you know, that brings back hundreds of thousands of jobs, um, obviously lots of money, and less dependence on people who actually hate us. And Josh Hawley had a great idea. Make, let's make 60% of everything, of all products in the United States. Let's make 60% in the United States. Again, to me, that's just common sense. That'll bring manufacturing back, bring tons of jobs back. Um, and, 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 again, not make us dependent on other countries as much. You know, China. You guys know China. China makes ninety uh, percent of our antibiotics. Think about that. If they cut us off, we are screwed. We are in deep. You know what? And that is scary to think yeah. about. We can't allow that to happen. I mean, we know this. Why aren't we fixing the problem now? Why? Again, why are we being Joe Biden reactive as being President Trump proactive? I prefer to be proactive. Much like uh, you know, I own a gym. I tell people, hey, get in the gym, work out, lose some weight. Let's not have a heart attack. But Joe Biden's type. He's going to have a heart attack first, then go to the gym, if he survives. 
I prefer to prevent it. And I think that's what we need to do uh, here as well. And um, I, I, I believe that we need to replace our current Republican leadership. I believe we need to elect a new uh, speaker. Uh, we need to get rid of McConnell. He's a disaster. And, uh, and we, need, we, need, we need new blood. We need new ideas. And we need, we need people who are going to fight, like truly fight. And, and I'll stand right there with them. And the last thing I would talk about is I played I, – I was an all-state baseball player. I played football at Purdue University. But I was watching the congressional baseball game, and I was like, I have to win that next year. <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on winning that congressional game as well. I'll tell well, you guys, well, you get me going, I can go off forever. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, I, yeah, I'd, I would prefer to see Jim Jordan as Speaker of the House myself. <laughs> Um, I, 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 do, I do. I agree. I, I love Jim Jordan. I agree with you. I, I always, I always tell Paul Gozar, I love Paul. And I'm like, if it wasn't Paul Gozar, because Paul is a savage. Paul is a true constitutionalist, a true conservative, and he's a fighter. Andy Biggs is too. I, I love, I'm very lucky here in Arizona. That I have two great, two great congressmen here, you know, to represent Arizona. Um, but, uh, Outside of those two, Jim Jordan's my guy. I, I really think he would do a great job. I think he would fight, and I think he would get things done. We would get our border secured with Jim Jordan. Um, and uh, I really believe we're going we're gonna to win a supermajority back. I think we can really, really take this country back when we do. Not think. I, when we do, we're going to show the American people, all those independents and all those moderate Democrats, that conservative policies work, America first policies work. And when they see it, when they see the gas prices going down, along with the continued 3% CO2 going down, like we have, right? We, we were cleaning our environment at the same time and, and still being a, a net exporter for the first time in history. We were still, quote, being cleaner, but yet expanding, expanding our oil, you know, oil production. Um, I think when people see uh, us not in wars unnecessarily, all this stuff that we can do to lower taxes, to keep the corporate tax lower, not raise it like Biden wants to do. That's going to cause companies to leave. Ronald Reagan tried that, and we actually raised less money overall in taxes because people left our country and went somewhere else. So obviously Biden didn't learn the lesson in history. Um, I'm not an economics expert, but I can read. <laughs> I, can, I can read history and understand what we've done, and it doesn't work. Um, you know, but all this kind of stuff that we can do and show the American people what America first means, what, our, what our conservative policies mean, and, and how it helps them and how it helps the country. I think we could honestly win the favor of the American people for a decade after this, after this election. Well, I mean, just look at all the Democrats that are retiring. Now, real quick, you're mentioning CPAC. Uh, when are you going to be on? When are you going to be speaking on, on CPAC? Well, um, Carrie Lake, who I'm, I'm endorsed by Carrie Lake. I'm the only person she's endorsing um, here in Arizona um, uh, federally. And uh, so I have a really good – um, you know, we have a really good connection. We have a really good rapport with one another. Uh, she's she's a, a featured speaker there, so she's going to be dropping some of this some of this information on the election that I know you'll be interested in tomorrow. Uh, I'm going to be going on uh, the variety of shows: uh, OAN, uh, RSBN with Brian, uh, Christina, Bob, probably more than likely on OAN and um, and uh, War Room. So I'm going to be dropping this information on those shows when I go on them. So it'll be kind of scattered, I believe, throughout today, Thursday and Friday. But if you get to watch Carrie speak, tune in because she's going to drop some of these truth bombs uh, during her speech. No, certainly. And I know well, one person that's kind of getting a little uh, little flack uh, for going to CPAC is, uh, at least I'm, what I'm seeing on Twitter, is Tulsi Gabbard. Uh, I, I, 
Yeah, um, so she, she's going to be there through my understanding of it. But, boy, she's really getting it. Um, now, of course, as Democrats go, I would have liked to see her win the nomination more than, you know, any of the others that came closer, obviously, who did. Um, yeah. I think it would have worried about the country as much if, if she would have been uh, their, <laughs> the Democrats' candidate. But she didn't hate – I don't think she hated <laughs> Trump enough to win the, uh, the nomination there <laughs> in 2020. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah. she got she got a lot of she got a lot of flat. You know, I, I, Tulsi, I, I, I kind of enjoy her because she hates Hillary Clinton as much as I do. So I, I do I do kind of enjoy her. So, but she um, you know, she's been saying the right things in the last few months in regards to uh, mandates and your freedom of choice, and, and which I do agree with her one one million percent. But Tulsi has a background of the World Economic Forum, as you guys know, she's an alumnus of the WF. Now, I've never heard her publicly come out and denounce the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab and, and, and the Great Reset. I've never heard her say it. I'm not saying she hasn't. But, you know, that, that's a major problem, major red flag with me. Um, if anybody that's involved with that organization, um, it's, it's, it's a scary thing. And Dan Crenshaw is another one. You know, he's another Republican. Uh, Justin Trudeau. Um, these are all people that are part of that organization and, um, you know, if she was to come out, and even Dan, if he was to come out and publicly um, say, you know, and condemn them, I don't believe in what they're doing. I don't believe in what they're saying. Um, I would look at it differently. But until she does that, I'm just going to treat her like a regular little Democrat. You know, she's the enemy to me <laughs> as far as I'm concerned in regards to policy, you know, in regards to policy and how the country should be run. Um, I, know, I know she's pro-abortion. She's pro-choice. So uh, that's another issue I have with her as well um, in regards to being at CPAC. You know, if she if she's a W uh, a W uh, uh, World Economic Forum alumnus and she's pro-abortion, why are you speaking at CPAC? And uh, yeah, so that's kind of the issue of, I have. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I was kind of wondering that myself. I mean, I know that both sides of the aisle like to have people from other parties. I mean, just how look how much praise that Kinzinger and Gonzalez and uh, Liz Cheney have uh, have gotten from the Democrats. Um, so they, they they love to have people from the other party, and the Republicans aren't any different. So I mean, maybe yeah. that has something to do with it. Uh, you know, because well, you know, I, there, she could be the resident Democrat, you know, at CPAC. But yeah, with those other yeah. issues, been, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I've been saying for months on this show that I think Tulsi Gabbard is going to be a crossover, and I think she would be a phenomenal crossover. And I'll tell you why. Because she did not toe the party line when it wanted to sabotage Bernie Sanders. Now, back in 2016, I'm no fan of Bernie Sanders, but she did do the right thing in calling out that the Clintons were trying to – Hillary was trying uh-huh. to sabotage it. Uh, yep. The former right. chairwoman of the um, DNC, Watchman Schultz. So she had the fortitude to come out, and I That's think true. that she saw the writing on the wall – in 2019, I think she saw when she was running in the primaries how far the party has strayed. And so yeah. I think that we need more people like that who want to go back to the days of being blue dog Democrats, moderates. Uh, Josh, yeah. I think you'll agree with me on this one. If you actually go on YouTube and also Robert and Kelly and you look at Bill Clinton's uh, you know, campaign commercials when he first ran – um, in in ninety two um, or ninety three, and and when he first uh, and when he ran for reelection in uh, nineteen ninety six, uh, you know 
for securing the borders, uh, pro-American, um, traditional marriage, all the things that Republicans and conservatives espouse. Uh-huh. I would say if Bill Clinton was running in today's Democratic Party, there would be no place for Bill Clinton in today's Democratic Party. And okay, I think the only last, the, the last of the Mohegans are Joe Manchin and Bill Cinema. They're the last of yeah. the Blue Dogs, that, and they're in a very small minority. So I think that Tulsi speaking at CPAC is a big message of saying I'm going to cross over. And, of course, I agree with you, Josh. She would have to condemn that organization, and yeah. I think she will. I just think it's all up to her team, and I think it's all strategic, when and where and how they're going to do that. But, yeah. heck, I welcome sincere crossovers. And I say she's sincere I, I, I because of those reasons. Yeah, yeah I do too. Sure. I, 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 do, I do think she's going to condemn them. I, I, I agree with you on that. And, uh, you know, and I, and I do feel that she is uh, uh, more of a, uh, what we call a JFK Democrat. You know, like she's more into, into that boat. And I think she has seen how far and just crazy the party's gotten. And, the only thing holding us together right now is Mansion and Cinema, and uh, you know if it wasn't for them shutting down that ridiculous Build Back Broker program, we'd be in the inflation would be it's already out of control. It would be I, I don't even want to fathom what it would be right now if, if that stuff went through. And uh, thank God for, for for those two fighting the filibuster as well. You know the the irony is that Harry Reid brought the filibuster back, and now they want to get rid of it because it's not, it's not advantageous to them anymore. So they want to change the rules, right? That's what they do. And, uh, you know, but thank goodness for those two for saying, you know, it's not the right thing to do for the country. It's not the right thing to do for the Senate to keep changing the rules or whoever's in power at the time uh, to gain more power. It's not, it's not what America's, you know, how we're, how we're designed or, or built upon. And, um, and I do think Gabbard is in that, that cinema mansion boat um, and, and compared, compared to the rest of those crazy people. Correct, and I'd just like to add one more thing. As the great Paul Heyman would say, this is not a prediction. This is a spoiler alert. I, the spoiler alert is, well, this year's midterm, Republicans are going to gain the largest majority in House and Senate history. The Dems are going to get a beating unlike anything they've ever seen since we, be, we, we gained our sovereignty from England and became a constitutional republic. And if you don't yeah. believe me, look at all these liberal strongholds that are reversing all the mass mandates all of a sudden. New York, yeah. California yeah. slowly rolling it back, Hawaii. But what they fail to realize is the American people see through them. They've done so much damage that it's irreversible and they know at this point they're just doing it for the sake of trying to save their uh, election and it's a little bit too late down that road so the term shellacking as Obama used in 2010 I would not even call it that I would call it a massacre and it's thanks to courageous candidates like you who are not afraid to say as conservatives, we need to purge the Republican Party. We need to yeah. get rid of the elite, and we need to get rid of those who do not stand for America, and we need to get candidates who will 
support the Constitution and will support our constitutional republic. Yes, I believe both parties need a great awakening, but the, but yeah. the Democrats more than anyone. And that's yeah. really what it's going to come down to. This midterm election is establishment versus continuing the great last term of President Donald Trump. Do we want to see more of what Trump was able to achieve? And I'll defer yeah. back to you, Robert. Well, and I was just going to say, yeah, well, we definitely need more seniors. Well, we, we'll work on citizen candidates. Go ahead, uh, Josh. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I agree. This, this, this election is, is the, the people versus the establishment within the Republican Party. And, and, and we need more people like that think I was, you know, I'm not going to pat myself on the back, but think like I do in a sense of, uh, you know, I'm a big believer in, uh, you know, the Democrats, you know, they, they don't fight fair. And we're bringing a knife to a gunfight. And, 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 and in my eyes, when we go in there, I'm not going to bring a knife to the gunfight. I'm going to bring a bazooka to the gunfight. And, and we need to, to, to fight like we've never fought before. You know, we, we let the Democrats get away with everything, everything we let them get away with. We need accountability. And I truly believe that when there's accountability, it's going to deter the corruption that we see. And it's going to take guys and, or women with, with, with guts to do the right thing. And not just um, congressional, you know, in the congressional um, sense, but um, in, in our DOJ, our FBI, our CIA, the good people need to stand up and speak out and rise up and stand up for, for America and the people and what we stand for. And, and we need accountability. You know, there, there's absolutely no way Hillary Clinton should not be arrested for what she's done the last 10, 15 years. You know, there's absolutely no way, absolutely impossible she should not be arrested for what she's done. And, 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 um, and you can say the same thing with, with uh, Fauci lying to Congress. Why is Fauci not arrested? He blatantly lied to Congress multiple times. Lied about uh, gain of function. Rand Paul destroyed Dr. Fauci. Why is Fauci not arrested? Again, without accountability, they know they're not going to be held accountable, so they just do and say whatever they want. They're like, screw you. What are you going to do about it? That's their attitude. So They're like Adam Schiff. <laughs> oh, my God, pencil neck, yes. So, listen, I'm, I'm a big fan of what Rick Grinnell did. When Rick Grinnell released the transcript from the skiff and showed with proof, right, that, that uh, uh, Schiff and Smallwell and all those Democrat clowns were lying day in and day out on CNN and MSNBC about Russian collusion. Trump's a Russian agent. He's a Russian spy. When Swalwell was the one with Fang Fang, <laughs> you know, and, and, and Schiff was the one lying every day about Russian collusion, going on every right. network he could think of, every day talking about it. And this guy is sitting at the chair of the Intel Committee? Are you kidding me right now? Swalwell's on the Intel Committee, and he's, 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 he's hooking up with a Chinese spy, and he's still sitting on the intel committee. <laughs> right. It's, you, can't, you can't make this stuff up. And, and, and that's, again, it's about accountability. When we get enough people in there, uh, enough people with guts to do the right thing, be, being a congressman to me is the easiest thing, in the earth, the easiest thing to do. Do the right thing, follow the Constitution, do what's right and just, you know, and, and, uh, and use common sense. You know, use common sense. And, and all too often, 
but it's easy to do all the stuff I just said. It's easy to do. It's easy. It's easy to be uh, to do the right, and just thing. To be to be to use common sense and logic and with policy. Put America first. That's easy to do when you're not compromising corrupt. And these people, the majority of them, are compromised and or corrupt or both. And that's why nothing gets done. That's why. And that's just the truth. Yet again, we need uh, you know citizen candidates, people who aren't uh, you know career politicians. I like to term the political class, or well, I dubbed them a long time ago the new oligarchy, uh, where they're not our representatives anymore; they're our rulers. Yeah. And that's and that's how I think they view us. Yeah, they do, and they they put themselves on a pedestal. You know, I, I've noticed this too. And the funny thing, I've, I've called a few of them out. You guys would enjoy my my conversations I've had. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, for example, you know, people that, um, you know, attended Harvard, went to Harvard Law School or Yale, you know, they're smart people. They can memorize things well. You know, they can, they can do well in class, but they have no common sense. Or, again, they're compromised or corrupt. A lot of these people are very smart. They're just evil and they're selfish. And, and, and that, that's a problem. Again, we have, we have these people that want to be put on a pedestal. They, 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 forgot, they, they forget. They don't know their role. They think, they think they're in charge. They think they're leaders and rulers. And that's another thing that I always battle is the psychology of, of what's happening. And what I mean by that is you always hear this. Well, he's a great leader. We, we need to elect better leaders. And I'm like, I don't elect leaders. What, are you guys, what are we? Are we a, a monarchy, a parliamentary system? Like I elect, I, I elect servants and trustees to, uh, to vote at my will, the people's will, not their own. That's what I do. But it's a psychology of, we had a guy, I won't say his name, he's a, a state senator in Texas, a former lieutenant colonel, which I completely respect. And I told him, I was like, uh, sir, you know, we're not in the military anymore. You work, you work for the people. You work for us. You're an elected servant. And, and, and what you're doing right now, by not, by not, um, by not uh, following the Constitution and, and what the people are telling you to do from a constitutional right that they have in your state, shows me that you're not doing the will of the people. You're, you're actually breaking your oath to the Constitution. And I know the oath you took in the military is extremely important to somebody in your position. It should be equally important as a legislator. And, oh, man, he got so mad. And he's, he's like, you know, who are you to tell me? Like, who do you know to tell me? Who are you to tell me this? And I told him, listen, I'm one of the people. I hold all political power. You work for me. So don't talk to me like that out of a, out of a position of authority that you don't have. <laughs> and the, com- the, the conversation went south. And I told him, if you don't think I have, if you don't think I have the authority, the political power over you, as my elected servant, then show me where it is, because I can show you exactly where it is that I do. Robert, I have Wait, breaking uh, news yeah. that just came out right now. New developments: Russia has initiated the full invasion of Ukraine as we speak. This there you go. Broke That's what happens when you elect weakness. So I just oh, want to let yeah. you guys know that it's a ba- it that, just yep. broke out right now. Yep, that's what happens when wow. you elect weakness. Or you, let, you let elections get stolen; they have consequences. And now we're experiencing that consequence, yeah, unfortunately. I, 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 and, I, and I feel for the people of Taiwan more than I feel for the people in Ukraine. I mean, I do feel for Ukraine. Don't get me wrong; the, the people there. Uh, but I, you know, I think uh, you know Taiwan's going to fare, um, you know, fare far worse. And one thing that always baffled me about yeah. the 2020 election is, you know, we've all remembered the movie. I remember thinking this, uh, not this past Christmas, but actually the Christmas before that, 
uh, right after the election, I guess. Well, yeah, right after the election. So we're all familiar with Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, right? And this yeah. movie was made in like 1943. And, it, you know, we know it showcased the corruption of Washington, D.C. And I'm thinking we, we were aware of the corruption of Washington, D.C. since 1940s, and we were making a movie out of it. And people are aware uh-huh. of it, and people talk about all the time the corruption of Washington, D.C. But yet you finally get a president there, President Trump, who wants to drain the swamp, or I like to call it a cesspool because at least swamps have some kind of ecological ecological value, and then somehow the corrupt media, which is actually the propaganda arm of the Democrat Party, was able to convince a good amount of the population that he was the corruption. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You just just actually gave me a great idea. I'm going to make Mr. Barnett Goes to Washington like an ad based off of that movie. I think that'd be a lot of fun. I think uh, the the, the corruption – you know, the filibustering with the Constitution that he did in the movie is something I would do. That's definitely right up my alley. Yeah, it's un- unbelievable. It's like we've been aware of it so long, but then how, how, how people are so blinded by it now. I know. It's, it's, you know, the one thing idea. Trump did that's amazing is he exposed corruption uh, from all levels, from all different angles. He exposed the media for what they are. And, um, and, 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 I, and I, I, you know, I agree with you guys that this backlash that we're going to see against the fake news against the, the Democrat Party is gonna is gonna um, is gonna uh, ring true come in November, you know, of 2022 here. Absolutely, and he also instilled the fear of God Almighty in our enemies. They didn't even dare. Russia would not be yep. doing this had the election got rigged. China would not even dare try uh, even debating trying to take over Taiwan. Um, yep, you're right. North Korea would not be shooting ballistic missiles into Japanese territory, and Iran would not be emboldened again. But here's my take on this. You see, I think this is a litmus test. I think Russia's doing this to see how far they can push their power without the United States reacting or leading from behind. And I think this is a precursor. This is kind of what Nazi Germany did in 1938 when Hitler annexed uh, parts of Czechoslovakia, and he annexed uh-huh. uh, Austria. And he did that as a test to see what Russia and France would do, and they did nothing. And so yeah. I honestly think, I agree there shouldn't be no boots on the ground, but we should be arming the Ukrainians with everything we can. Because if we don't, Josh, this is what I'm afraid is going to happen. That is just going to give the green light to China to say, we're going to invade Taiwan, what are you going to do about it? And that will give yeah. North Korea yeah. the, the red flag, uh, or I mean the green light to say, we're going to start shooting more ballistic missiles into Japanese territory. And if they yeah. do that, the Japanese, they have every right to null and void the uh, treaty that they did after World War II with the United States uh-huh. in which they, they, they gave up their military. That was part of the deal. Yeah, uh, and yeah. they would have every right to say, well, if America is no longer going to defend us as allies, then we have yeah. the right to rearm again. We have the right to build an air force to protect ourselves. So, Josh, that's my fear. My fear yeah. is this is just a precursor. This is just kind of like the sampling of a wine before you drink the whole bottle. And I think the rest of the world, especially our enemies, are looking and seeing that if Biden is going to cave on this, then that just gives the green light for everyone else 
And if that were to happen, uh, this is going to happen before the midterms, or it could happen before Trump gets back in office in 2024, God willing that he runs again. And so that's what I'm worried about. I think that's what many Americans are afraid about, is a nuclear holocaust. A World War yeah. Three, where we would just nuke each other into obliteration, and that would be the end of the world. And no, no, Robert, I assure you, no zombies will survive it. I mean, I'm just telling you, think about it. <laughs> hey, if Russia shot their ballistic thing, missiles, so... trust me, they wouldn't survive the radiation. Just think about it. If Russia shoots their ballistic missiles at us, we shoot it back at them. Iran shoots it at us, we shoot it back at them. North Korea shoots at us, we shoot it back at them. China, vice versa. There is no zombie apocalypse. It goes to show you the movies are two-faced. Okay, well, we won't be around to prove it, but yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> so, I, you know, I, I, I do agree in a sense of I think we, we, we can assist in the Ukrainian issue with weapons, uh, assisting northern European countries, neighboring countries. Um, you know, we have strategic points with Poland, uh, as you know, that, that, that we can utilize and in, in, in maybe uh, and let NATO come in and do their thing. But that, that's for these countries, you know, all too often, um, you know, we pay we pay into these these world organizations like NATO or the U.N. and we're paying for everything. And then these other countries don't want to do anything. They want us to go do it as well. And it's time it's time for those, those NATO nations to buck up and, and go and go handle business. Uh, when needed, when necessary. And I agree that we do have to show some strength with uh, this situation because of China and Taiwan. If, if China and Taiwan wasn't a deal, wasn't a situation, I, I would say let NATO handle it. You know, uh, we need to stay out of this. It has nothing that really directly nothing to do with us. And um, But all too often, you know, when you see the military-industrial complex um, – Fiending, fiending for money, right? They, uh, Trump took us out of all the wars, and uh, they're broke right now, and they're looking to get into something. The media was pushing this narrative for a long time uh, with Russia and Ukraine and everything else, and uh, they were they were they were salivating for this war, and um, and and they got it now, they got it. But um, I, I I feel that um, I'm hoping that um, Congress needs to intervene. I know they sent a letter in saying uh, you need to go through us for a declaration of war or for anything that has to do with this. Um, but will Biden listen and will the Democrats listen? I, I don't think they will. I think they're going to do what they want. But, again, this is just going to be – I have a, a very strong feeling for this. This is going to be another thing that just buries them deeper into the hole that they're already in, um, into, into the midterm election. Uh, you know, I mean, everything Biden has ever done foreign policy-wise his entire career has been wrong. And this is, this is just going to be another example of, of – a failed Democrat policy um, on an international stage. And it's, it's going to be advantageous for us as Republicans. But again, um, I, I pray that, you know, casualties are limited. I pray that things get resolved somehow very quickly, but uh, you know, this will be another, another setback for Biden, another setback, another press conference of him mumbling uh, for, for, for 10 minutes. And, uh, and Kamala cackling uh, thereafter. So you know we just gotta we gotta buck up and ride this thing out and uh, and wait till uh, we get sworn in in January 2023 so we can we can go in and, and fix all the wrongdoings and all, all the things that have happened. 
Now, one of the things I want to get out there. Any better. Now, well, now, Josh, uh, a, a couple things. One, uh, tell us a little bit about your website where people can, you know, look. I mean, I got a link here, uh, you know, on the podcast. But if you want to, you know, yeah. tell folks, you know, about your website, uh, sure. and then also. You know, how can people who who aren't from Arizona, because this is a, it is a national program, um, actually international, if the truth be told. But um, but how about maybe people who are outside of, let's say, Arizona, who is listening to uh, our program tonight, or you know, the the podcast uh, recording later? You know, how they might be able to, you know, help out your campaign, whether you know, if it's through contributions or if it's through, I don't know how someone outside of the state could actually even volunteer stuff. I think what Kelly. Um, has offered maybe something that can that can help as well. But I mean, uh, tell us some more about that. Yeah, um, you can get you can reach me at barnettforaz.com. I'm also very active on Twitter, Barnett for AZ, uh, Barnett for AZ on Instagram, Josh Barnett for Congress on Facebook. But um, I'll be on Truth as well as soon as I get accepted. I've been waiting, <laughs> so um, it'll be nice to be on a platform where you're not where you're not censored and you actually see. Um, a true number of followers and a true number of, of who's paying attention to what you're saying. Um, but I'll be Barnett for AZ on truth. Once I get accepted on it, actually you can follow me now, I guess, but um, I can't get on there quite yet. Um, but uh, yeah, you, you know, uh, 90, 90%, over 90% of house house, the U S house seats are won by who spends the most money. And unfortunately money is a big thing as you guys know, in politics. And, um, and that's why they rig it. They rig it against the average person. They rig it against the person who's not a multimillionaire or, um, or has, you know, Peter Thiel backing you, right? Uh, not that there's anything wrong with Peter Thiel. I'm just saying, like, have that kind of money behind you. Um, donations, 10 bucks counts, 20 bucks counts. You know, I told people I have 80,000 followers on Twitter. If I had half the people on Twitter donate 10 bucks, that would keep my campaign rolling full steam ahead, full steam ahead, and, and then some. So, uh, don't don't think that uh, any contribution is too small because it's not. And uh, you know you could donate up to twenty eight hundred um, on uh, up to the primary. So anything from five bucks to twenty eight hundred. You know we need every little bit we can. Um, every bit is going to get used for the campaign, uh, for flyers, for ads, for uh, social media. You know let people know who you are because we have to get out to the masses, not not the the fringe group of people that and the grassroots that are really out there and active. I have to reach the average person who doesn't really pay attention too much. They kind of know a little bit. That's who I got to reach, and that's who I got to let them know. This is my last name. This is who I am. The name recognition, and 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 uh, and and that that's what wins. That's what wins. You've seen it. People vote just seeing a name. I know it sounds crazy, but you know that that's that's what it is. And uh, so we need money to be able to get that name out there, and to let people know who I am and what I believe in and what I want to do, and what I what I've done already. You know, leading into this. So. Um, I believe uh, the polling for me internally looks great. We're in a great position right now. And, uh, you know, I'm excited about it because these guys have been spending, um, they put millions, millions, millions of dollars into their uh, campaign uh, accounts. And uh, the funny thing is, is I don't put that kind of money in. I don't have it. But I'm actually, I'm right where I need to be to win, let's say that much. And uh, so it's pretty exciting because once we get things rolling uh, financially, um, and we, we've had a great we've had a great last couple of weeks here, uh, from that standpoint. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, future debates and stuff. I know that are set up as well. I'm looking very very much looking forward to that. Uh, that's that's where I excel in that in that type of uh, position. 
but um, you know, outside of that, you know, we we are having a good time with it. We're we're, we're networking and, and meeting a lot of people that across the country, like at CPAC. You know, a lot of people that I've uh, are going to get to see me in person for the first time and talk and, and let them know what I'm about. You know, get and I think support. it's very important for Republicans yeah, in Arizona to hold the line. I think it's important yeah. that Arizona Republicans hold the line. Right now, yeah. Arizona is a red state, but it's coming close to becoming a purple state or a battleground state, as is what's happening in Georgia. And we can't afford for the red wall to collapse. We, you know, granted, we all know Georgia and Arizona, that was rigged. We know that was rigged against the president, the rightful president of the United States. So I think yeah. Republicans like you and true conservatives hold the line. We can't afford to allow liberals to take over more red states and break the red wall. Classic example, Absolutely. Texas. Trump only won Texas by six points. That is how close it is becoming for uh, Texas to be going from one of the most solid red states to becoming a purple state, and that's scary. So yeah. for the love of God, get across that line and collaborate with your fellow true conservatives in holding the line because we can't afford for the Dems to chisel away at our red wall. And the same thing Absolutely. I would say for Atlanta, for Georgia, because Warnock, he still has to run in 2022 again because he only yes. ran in a, run, or in a runoff election in 2020. And correct me if I'm wrong, Josh, there was one other Senate seat that's also up for a runoff, uh, not a runoff anymore, but is up for 2022 to determine who's going to be the next senator for the six years. Is that Mark Kelly, the astronaut? I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah it's uh, Mark Kelly. Kelly. Yeah, Jim Lehman and Blake Masters are kind of at the forefront of that race. And, uh, I, I really believe we're going to win that race. Um, uh, one of those two guys, whoever wins that primary, I believe we're going to win. The governor the same way, the governor's race. I believe Kerry's going to win, hands down. And, uh, you know, we we have, you know, we, we can't get complacent. We can't get, you know, ahead of ourselves, right? We've got to keep busting our butts and working hard. But I think we're going to turn Arizona red. We're going to extend our lead in the Senate and the House. We're going to do a lot of great things here, and we're going to show the people – our policies work, and I think when we do, that's going to make a difference for us going into this next decade. And um, and I really think that I will open some eyes. We're going to open some eyes. It's going to it's going to be a lot of fun, but it's going to be a lot of work. Absolutely. And Josh, I want to get your thoughts. And Robert, I want to get your thoughts. I also believe that the runoff elections for the Senate race in Georgia and Arizona was rigged as well. What are your thoughts on that, Josh? What are your thoughts on that, uh, Robert? Oh, there's there's no doubt in my mind that the Georgia race is rigged. I was very involved with what happened there as well. I worked at Candace Taylor, uh, running for governor there, um, very closely. Um, I've spoken with um, many of the state legislators in Georgia about what powers they have. Uh, we showed them what we did here in Arizona to have a forensic audit. Unfortunately, they're too weak and cowardice to do it. And um, nothing happened. But we see the 2,000 mules, right, that just came out, um, showing more blatant fraud in the maladministration. For, for Georgia not to, to take a look at things and not pull their electors back just shows you how dirty and disgustingly corrupt the rhinos are in Georgia. 
Well, yeah, but I, I might say I'm, I don't know about uh, you know about the runoff in uh, in Arizona, Georgia. Yeah, certainly because we've seen the same thing happen in Georgia that we did with Trump. You know, just all of a sudden the Democrats came back you know, to to win the day, so to speak. Uh, now as to Arizona, I'll be honest with you, just because you know I'm a you know I have my head in, my have my head in space now. <laughs> yeah, I like I would like to have picked. Uh, Senator Kelly's brain about about Russia because I mean he spent a year on the International Space Station with Russians, uh-huh. so I would think he would have uh, I wouldn't go as far as to say unique perspective on Russians and on Russia, but I mean he spent a good deal of time over Russia because remember we we needed their spacecraft in order to get to the International Space Station for a while yeah. before Elon Musk. Uh, <laughs> So I would love, I'd love to pick his brain about, you know, his thoughts about Russia, um, especially since he spent so much time with them there and, you know, on, on the International Space Station. Correct. No, I mean, he, he's done some cool things. Donald Trump only lost by well, 11,000 well, votes in Arizona. That's true. That's true. And Georgia, Georgia was you, very you, close, you, Wisconsin. Wisconsin's the same way. You know, Wisconsin, there's so much fraud and maladministration and, and criminal indictments right now up there. Um, there's no way Wisconsin should not be pulling their electors back as well. So do you think that, uh, you know, Josh, that there's going to be – there, there either has been or is going to be enough done in this election cycle, 2022 and 2023 – to disallow, perhaps that might be the right word for it, uh, the Democrats to, because I mean, I mean, I do, I think 2020, I think there was definitely, you know, cheating and obfuscation going on, but I do think there was enough people actually convinced, you know, to vote for Biden uh, to make, you know, their obfuscation, their cheating work. Uh, now, do you think that they're going to they're going to be able to get away with it again in 2022 and 2024? And if if you think there's still a high possibility of that, what could be done to stop it? I, I think a lot of these state legislators have done um, enough to change some things. For example, they got rid of ballot harvesting in Wisconsin, completely banned it. You know, we, we're doing stuff here in Arizona currently right now. Same with Georgia. Um, I think we've shored up enough things um, to help eliminate some of the problems. But uh, until we get rid of the machines and go back and vote how we used to, to be honest with you, uh, I'm not big on making voting easier. I'm big on making my vote count. And if I have to wait in line a little bit longer for my vote to actually count, be counted properly, I'm okay with that. And uh, I think we get, uh, we get caught up in technology. And anything that's technology is usually Wi-Fi compatible, and that's, that, can be, that can be problematic as well. And uh, – we just need to go back to what worked, and what worked is paper ballots, hand counted at the precinct level. We'll know by midnight who won, and and that's it. And uh, it, it, you know, voter ID. You know, I mean, all the basic common sense things that need to be done. No ballot harvesting, no mail-in ballots. We should completely get rid of them. Absentee ballots, I feel, are okay. If um, I even feel those should be notarized, to be honest with you, um, I want to know that it's you that's actually filling that ballot out. And the only way to do that would be, you know, obviously you could have a crooked notary, but uh, the, the, the chances of that happening are, are slim. And uh, we try to uh, eliminate as much cheating as possible. And uh, there's so many just one-day voting, none of this 
month out stuff or anything like that. Um, you know, we need to go back to how we used to do it. And uh, I feel that's the safest and most secure way to make sure that your vote counts. And that, like I said, that's just my opinion. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm actually going to have to do, I'm going to have to look more into it. I've never, I've never absentee voted before, but I'm actually going to be in Florida during the election uh, this, this year. So I'm going to, um, you know, my wife and I, we're going to have to, uh, to vote absentee this year. Uh, we'll be celebrating our, our anniversary, actually. <laughs> there. Um, so that, that'll be a, a different, you know, a different experience. But, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't mind having to, you know, get it, might get it notarized. Exactly. And, and I think that's what the Democrats want to do uh, with their, this HR1. Is, you know, they want to, I think they want to make it easier for ineligible people uh, to vote or to have people vote multiple times. Yeah. Yeah. Federalizing elections is a very bad idea. Like I said, everything in my platform is, is decentralizing power in the federal government and putting it back to the states. And the federal government should not be sticking their nose at anything to do with elections, just as our Constitution says. And uh, they're only doing it because they're trying to steal elections. They're trying to steal things uh, from the people. And, uh, uh, again, thank goodness that has not passed. Uh, nothing's been done with it. And um, I, I feel that nothing will be done with it. It's a nothing burger. But it just shows you, again, it shows you where they stand. These people are crazy. They're literally communists. And, and I don't even call them Democrats anymore. Their ideology and what they believe in is communism and, and, and government control over everything. And uh, we can't allow that to happen. And uh, I, I know we got a lot of Republicans out here. We're going to fight tooth and nail, and we're going to make sure it doesn't happen. And uh, I know I'm very confident that uh, when 2024 comes around, the, the, the country will be in a much better track at that point. And when we get a president in, in there that, that will fight with us, and, and um, we're going we're gonna to see, uh, I believe, um, a, a resurgence in American exceptionalism and, and American pride and pride in what we are and what we stand for um, like we've never seen before. And uh, probably a lot like the people felt after, after, you know, after the American Revolution or something, you know, that, that pride, that sense of accomplishment that we did this and, and we're going the right direction. I feel that's what we're going to feel um, in the next couple of years. Well, and two things. I mean, I've I, and I've said for a long time. I mean, the Democrat Party is not the party of JFK any any longer, and they really haven't yeah. been for a while. And I mean, and that's why I put a lot of emphasis on you know the space program. I mean, I'm talking. You know, if, if there's one thing I think they could bring a lot of national pride. Uh, and I don't think it gets nearly enough media attention, nor do I think, frankly, in the halls of Congress, I don't see, uh, you know, enough uh, exposure as well. I mean, because I think if we can, you know, be the first ones to get back on uh, to the moon and then also, you know, get on, get on to Mars, I think if we get talk more about that, um, then, whereas, uh, you know, our, our beloved Rush used to say, you know, American exceptionalism. Uh, out there again, uh, then, you know, I think that would go far. And again, I mean, Trump, I mean, Trump was saying, you know, you know, 2024 is when he would have liked to seen us uh, go back, uh, you know, to the moon and then get that, you know, get things started to uh, to move on to Mars. But I, I really think us focusing on that, you know, uh, you know, can also bring that, you know, that national pro. We need something, you know, to to get us there, as you point out, whether it's the space program, what you you talk about new a new American revolution where, you know, freedom's back, so to speak. Uh, yeah. I think hold uh, yeah. that, um, you know, there's just the concept of, I'm not trying to get too philosophical, so, and you know, I'm as minor in philosophy, so you might want to excuse me. 
uh, where they, they, I think the sense of freedom and, and the concept of freedom is just really hard for people to grasp. They think they know what it really means, um, but I, I, don't, I really don't think they do. Well, you and that's why I think it's been so well easy know. for the. They never had their freedom Sorry, taken, so they don't know. They don't understand. And when, uh, uh, hopefully that never happens. That, that it takes that much for them to wake up. But that, you're exactly right. They've never had their freedom truly taken, so they just take it for granted. Correct. Yeah, and, and, and I think was, the left. Go ahead, John. Uh, go ahead, Joseph. The left loves Obama because he hated. He hates America, and he showed that disdain while in office. Yes. The left loves him, and the love and the left hates our rightful president because he loves our country. And he backed it with his actions. And so, Josh, as you said at the beginning of the show, and Robert, you've been maintaining this for the longest time. This is different from any other election in our history of a, of a constitutional republic because this time there's only two sides. You're either for ensuring that we remain a constitutional republic, that we remain the land of the free, of the home of the brave, or you're looking to change us into a banana republic, you're looking to change us into a socialist, communist country. And this is my call-out that I would say. And this would be kind of cool if even the candidates did this. If, if, if a candidate is running for office and the incumbent is a Democrat, if you love socialism so much and communism, why don't you put, where your, where your, why don't you put your money where your mouth is? Why don't you ask for asylum in Venezuela? Why don't you ask for asylum in Cuba? Why aren't you asking for asylum in Russia, North Korea, Iran? Why aren't you? Because you're a bunch of hypocrites. And the irony is people have risked their lives to come in craters and container ships from these communist countries just to get away with it. And they'll be the yeah. first one to tell Democrats, you have no idea what, it, what true communism is. You have no idea what a dictatorship is. You have no idea what it's like living oppressed and under tyranny. That's why we risk our lives to come to the greatest country in the world. Maybe you need to go to Venezuela. Maybe you need to take a little tour in Cuba. And no, not as a politician where you're going to have your uh, security detail and you're going to be staying in the nice resorts and being treated like you're uh, an empress. No, go there as a regular person who has no rights. Where they could detain you, they could wipe you off the face of the map without due process, or maybe join the concentration camps in China. I mean, the hypocrisy is just, it's, it's, it's disgusting. There's only two sides to it, like you said, Josh. You're yeah. either on the yeah. side of liberty and freedom, or you want to change our country, but they don't even know what it's like to live in that regime. You want to know why? Because they grew up with all their freedoms. They grew up with the right to bear arms and the freedom of speech. That's the hypocrisy of it. So if you love communism so much, go knock on their border and go beg for asylum. See how that works out for you. That would be my challenge to any leftist who would dare say that socialism and communism is a great thing. But do you really know what it is? I think you only know the definition by the dictionary, but you've never lived in tyranny, have you? So they are the biggest hypocrites 
in the room. Well, you're exactly right. But keep in mind, the elites, nothing will ever change for them. It's only going to change for the rest of us, right? And, and uh, right. you know, that's why, you know, that's why, uh, you know, they do what they do because nothing changes for them. They don't wear masks at dinner, but they want you to. Kids got to wear them in school. But, uh, you know, Gavin Newsom can have dinner with uh, 15 people and nobody's wearing a mask or they can go out to the club like the, the mayor was the mayor of San Francisco, I believe it was, you know, hanging out, having drinks, having a good old time. But your kids got to sit in the classroom masked up. You know, it's, it's, I, I can't believe more people don't see what's happening and, and are, are waking up. But luckily, a lot of people are. So, you know, it's going to be it's going to be a good November 2022 for us. Uh, we just got to make sure we get our right people in there and uh, the right yeah. candidates in there. And, uh, and guys, I, I, I really I really love I, I had a great time talking to you guys, but I got to take off. I got to get ready to go to the airport. Um, I got a red eye. No, certainly. We appreciate all the time. But, um, no, it was great talking with you guys. And, and, and like I said, Barnett for AZ.com. And, uh, yes, definitely email me that, that document you got about the election stuff. I would love, I'd love to see that, have my team look through it. Yeah, now get it set. We appreciate all your time. And uh, hopefully we'll be uh, having you back on as uh, the candidate running against uh, whoever the Democrat ends up being. Sounds great. Sounds great to me. Let me know, okay? <laughs> Uh, we'll Safe do. Journey, we'll, do. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll reach out and uh, have fun at CPAC this, uh, the rest of the week. Okay. Sounds good, guys. Thank you. Talk to you guys soon. Thank you. Take care. Have a safe trip. Thank you. God bless. Bye. You're good. Take care. Well, that was great. Uh, I tell you what, um, I, I make you wish I lived in Arizona <laughs> so I, I, that I could vote for the guy because, I mean, you know, I, I, I mean, there wasn't really much of anything he said that I didn't I, I agree with. And, um, you know, so certainly, you know, go to his website if you can uh, contribute funds, you know, do that uh, for him. I mean, you know, we'll have other, uh, you know, other candidates perhaps from Arizona on, perhaps not. We'll see. Um, but so far, you know, I mean, I, I certainly like what um, he said now. Uh, Kelly, did you? I mean, I, you know, we haven't heard from you for a while. I don't know if you had to step away. Are you still with us, Kelly? Yes, I'm. Uh, you know, Joseph mentioned that the uh, Russians have invaded. Uh, so, boom, it happened. Okay, interesting. Well, I find this kind of interesting uh, regarding the Ukraine. As I'm looking at Operation Barbosa, June 22, 1941, when the Germans and the Axis forces, which included other nations, um, Bulgaria, Romania, etc., some other nations joined the Axis powers in World War II, they had 3.8 million men, uh, personnel, when they invaded Russia. And, they, of course, they went from the Arctic Sea all the way to the Black Sea. 3.8 million for that invasion. Now, we're looking at Russia doing, I think uh, last I heard yesterday was 200,000. 200,000 for the invasion? Now, that seems a little bit weak um, compared to Operation Barbosa, 3.8 million. So I was like, what's going on here? Is it just a little testing or is it a serious full-on invasion? I really want to watch the news and see what's going on. UN Security Council is having emergency meetings. Uh, what's going on? Because, uh, yeah, so 
I, I'm just I'm scratching my head. I mean, yeah, okay, it's happening. I get that. But is 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 Russia planning to be successful with only two hundred thousand men? This doesn't make very much sense. So hey, somebody stop by. I gotta get something to them. So um, I just thought I'd uh, just raise some questions there about. And of course, I've heard videos that, that uh, Putin does does want uh, the Ukraine because they say that. Russia has some of its origins in the Ukraine, and there's a bunch of Russians. Hitler said the same thing about countries he invaded. Oh, there's a bunch of Germans in these other countries. So it's just bizarre. I'm, I'm going to turn it over to you. I think you're right, yeah, Kelly. I think find he's some, testing the waters. What do you think, Robert? Yeah, I think they're testing the waters. Reports. Yeah, I'm trying to find some other reports, uh, Joseph, on, on, on that, but they're not really forthcoming. Uh, and I'm not watching anything either, though. But um, yeah, I'm trying to get some 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 more specifics. But I tell you what, I was I mean I'm really impressed with our candidate tonight. I definitely hope to get him back on the show um, again. I mean, you know, we may have some other folks uh, from Arizona running the primary. I know there's a, a list of other folks that they said, uh, at least on Ballotopia, that that are running. But you know, they're not a lot of. It looks like actually a kind of a crowded field in the uh, the primary. I mean, there is uh, Weichert. Uh, there's also Elijah Norton. Uh, but I'm also seeing, you know, like one, two, three, four, five, like six other people who are are running. Uh, now, I don't really know much about them. I, mean, I can look, look things up. But, I mean, with, with him and what he did with the organization of the, the 2020 audit, I mean, I, I think that should be able to get him some some name recognition. And he mentioned Elijah Norton. Uh, you know, we're not going to you know, talk about another candidate. You know, really. You know, while well, we had a uh, you know featured you know another one. So, uh, you know, we'll, we're definitely going to keep an eye on uh, on the election. That's for certain. Again, hopefully, we uh, keep him uh, keep him back. Now, I mean, Josh does have. Uh, experience. I mean, he did run against Ruben uh, Gallego uh, in the general election for U.S. House uh, District 7 in 2020. Um, now, that was an incumbent Democrat, and, you know, and the Democrat won, you know, the, you know, the general election. However, uh, you know, I think, I think the, the, the tide is, could possibly be changing uh, away from the Democrats, even in places that otherwise, you know, maybe even just a couple of years ago, voted for for Democrats. Yeah, I would agree with that, Robert, a hundred percent. I, like you said, it's called Biden remorse. I think anyone who voted for any Democrat in 2020, up and down the ballot, even if it was for local races, city council, they are regretting it because they are seeing. What it is like for the occupier-in-chief, yes, I'm sorry, for four years, the Democrats referred to the rightful president as the occupier-in-chief? No, Biden and Kamala are the occupiers-in-chief. And with all due respect, Trump didn't need to rig an election to get into the White House. And they knew after COVID failed, you see, they thought for sure this pandemic, that was it. This was the final you know, nail in the coffin, Trump was going to go down. But the way he handled it, I don't think, Robert, anyone could have handled it under the circumstances back then. 
any better than President Trump. I think had it been anyone else at the helm in the early stages, today we would be in a modern-day depression. So it's Biden remorse, but payback is a beast. 2022, we take the House, we take the Senate, we make Biden and Kamala uh, 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 what they call it, a lame duck session. And then we take the White House back in 2024. Because Time is not on our side. Let's be honest. The whole world has gone insane. Every time you turn on the news, it's just something worse. Just to let you know, it was Fox News that broke out the uh, announcement that uh, Russia has uh, started the invasion of Ukraine. And Putin just declared it's a special military operation. And I would agree with Kelly, only 200,000 troops. Um, You know, it begs to wonder is this just a litmus test to see how far he can go? And then if he sees that, you know, America is going to leave from behind or NATO is not going to step it up, then does he decide to send an additional 200,000 troops, which would make 400,000, or maybe ramp it up to 600,000 troops? The difference with Operation Barbarossa is Hitler wanted to dominate the world. And he knew to do that, He needed to take Moscow. He needed to take Stalingrad. He needed to. There was a difference. Um, And at the same time, at the very, very very same time, the Americans were the game changer in entering the war after Pearl Harbor. Uh, No doubt. And, you know, a lot of historians go back and they say Hitler made a lot of mistakes. And Dunkirk, had he just obliterated just bombed and nuked all of the remaining army of the Brits and the the French, then there would have never been a World War II, or there would have never been an alliance that would have been able to defeat the axis uh, of of, of evils, which back then was the Italians, the Germans, and the Japanese. And so let's see what happens. Uh, Like Kelly said, NATO has convened an emergency meeting as we speak right now, uh, but I honestly think Putin is just seeing how far he can go, how far he can test the waters, versus Hitler was not trying to test the waters. He even said in, in his uh, book, Mein Kampf, that he wanted to get rid of the bourgeois. He was, wanted to get rid of the Marxists. He wanted to obliterate uh, the, the, the Soviet Union. He made that clear. The only reason why he made that alliance with the Soviets was so that he could have a successful invasion of Poland in 1939 without the Russians uh, trying to stop the Germans from doing so. But in reality, uh, that's just what I wanted to add, and I'll defer back to you, Robert. Well, I've got here, um, you know, as mentioned earlier, and maybe this is the law of attraction working its its wonders, uh, as, you know, I mentioned earlier about – Ruben uh, Gallego, who was a Democrat that Josh, our guest tonight, ran against in the general election uh, in 2020. So let's say Josh does get the nomination and, if he, and he runs against Gallego again. This is the type of person that Gallego is. I've just seen this article on Twitter. Um, and the title is, uh, this is from the Daily Caller. Uh, House Democrat Ruben Gallego says he wants government to seize and redistribute truckers Vehicle, uh, trucker's vehicle. It says Arizona Democratic Representative Ruben Gallego tweeted Tuesday 
his desire for authorities to seize trucks blocking highways near Washington, D.C., and redistribute them to other trucking businesses. Quote, perfect time to impound and give the trucks to small trucking companies looking to expand their businesses, Gallagher wrote in response to a news report warning that a convoy of truckers could shut down the highway surrounding the national capital. Several organizations have planned to launch trucker convoys in various cities across the U.S., including Washington, D.C., to protest COVID-19 restrictions and vaccine mandates. Uh, so basically, um, again, um, that is the, uh, the type of person that, you know, Barnett, you know, Josh would be, would be running against because Ruben would probably get the nomination, you know, in his primary since he's the incumbent. So this, uh, this is the type of person that you're running, you know, that he's going to be running against. This person who basically wants to be an authoritarian, you know, and then, you know, taking, you know, trucks from one company and then giving it to others, you know, who I guess, you know, stay in line, you know, or, or don't, you know, rock the boat against what they're trying to impose on the American people. So that's the kind of person uh, Ruben Gallego is. And I, I mean, I, and that's why, Robert, I definitely think this time around is a game changer. There are so many disaffected Democrats, disaffected independents, uh, major donors of the Democratic Party who are changing course because they see the writing on the whole – I mean, sorry, on the wall. So I definitely think this time around um, – you, you ever hear the saying, you have blood on your hands? Well, I say you have COVID on your hands, and that's exactly what he should tell the incumbent. Shame on you. You have COVID on your hands. You're not worthy of re-election. And I honestly think with everything that is colossally going so wrong for the Democratic Party, not just the occupiers in chief, but the party as a whole, I really think Josh has a very, very humongous chance of winning. Not just a shot. I think he could easily win 60, 70 points because there's just so much anger and outrage out there against what the Democrats are trying to do and not owning up to their mistakes and their policies that are continuing to harm everyday Americans to the point where even the most loyalist Democratic base is saying, I don't think we can even support this anymore. George Soros only made a half a million dollar donation last quarter to the DNC. That's the lowest donation he's ever given since he's been a donor for the Democratic Party. And that just goes to show you, for even Warren Buffett, they see the writing on the wall, Robert. They see the writing on the wall. Well, and you see all those who you know, decided to retire, right? <laughs> all those Democrats that have decided to retire. Close to 40 in the House. And... What's unique about the Senate is back in 2020, there were more Republican seats that were up for re-election. This time around, there are more Democratic seats that are up for re-election, which favors a pretty large you know, Senate takeover as well. Yeah, I think they got a shot. Um, I, do think, you know, I do think they got a shot of, of getting the Senate. That The House, almost definitely, the, the Senate... I think they, I think they got a shot of, of both getting Georgia and, and now of course 
that's minus any type of possible chicanery, right? Um, but yeah, I think they got. I think they had a shot. Well, I mean, definitely the House, oh, I Senate. Do. I, I think I think they can gain up the two to four houses in the Senate. In the Senate, yes, that's exactly the number I was going to say. I think that they could easily take four seats in the Senate, and if they do that, then Kamala is no longer the tiebreaker, and that's all they need. You never know. We may have a November surprise. Like in baseball, when they call it an October surprise, you never know if we get 50, if we get nine more seats and we can get a 59 majority in the Senate, that would be complete domination in power. That would be a complete check and balance. That will guarantee that the occupiers in chief are lame ducks for the remaining two years. Lord help us, I can't even believe we still got three more years to go. God, sometimes I feel I want to jump off the building when I hear that. No, not really want to jump off the building, but feel like I want to because it's only been a year, and it feels like it's been an eternity. Truly, it has. Oh, I know. I can't, believe it's, I can't believe it's only been a year. And look, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that's the thing. I mean, look, that's why, I mean, you know, that that's why this midterm election, um, and I can't believe I'm about to say this, but this midterm election might be the most important elect, uh, midterm election in our lifetime. <laughs> Not that I'm trying to mimic uh, uh, Sean Hannity where he says that every year, you know what I mean? Uh, so, well, uh, Kel, uh, the Kel, yeah, Kelly had, had to go. Um, so, uh, we, you know, we want to thank Kelly for coming on. Excited that you know, our guest tonight is excited about, you know, getting that uh, that 60-page report uh, to look at for his team. So we're, we're excited about that, you know. So I'm just going to save my uh, him here. And so, well, we do got uh, a couple callers on. Uh, if you want to uh, chime in, just put the one on the uh, number dial, and we'll get you into the show. I definitely think Josh brought his A game, and I'll tell you why. He wasn't afraid to answer the tough questions, and he get in, and he didn't get defensive. And that's a good thing. That's a good sign. That's what I want to see in candidates. What I think he could have done differently, or what I think more candidates need to do is instead of ending the session with what his contrast is to his candidate, they should start it off as to, here's the name of my incumbent. This is what I'm going to do differently. This is why my, the, the incumbent doesn't deserve to be reelected. This is why I humbly ask for your vote. Um, and I think that's very important to do that from the get-go because, like you said, you've got people from all over the country that chime into your show. It's a popular podcast. It's the people show. So if I'm not in Arizona, I'm not going to know. So you have to pitch to your audience. You have to assume that they know nothing about you, and then you have to start building yourself up. You, you Basically, an introduction. You have to just pretend well, as if anyone, any, any show you go on, any news reporter you speak to, any interview you do, psychologically you have to make it seem as though Nobody knows me, so I'm going to introduce myself. This is an introduction. This is my platform. This is what I will do differently. This is why I deserve your vote, and this is why my challenger or incumbent doesn't. And I'll defer back to you. Well, yeah, I mean, and, um, 
Oh my gosh, I just had a I just had a brain freeze. Well, it's kind of my fault, you know, because I mean, my questions tonight really weren't as much on, uh, you know, his specific policies and, and things he wants to do. As more into I I had an idea of what I wanted to ask him about, what I wanted to know about him. Um, so, so I wanted to be able to get those questions out. So I know it's going to be bringing yourself and Kelly in, and you know I know you you'd like to focus more on you know their platform and things of that nature. So I'm glad we got the opportunity to have that part of the discussion. I knew Kelly would like to focus more on the voting aspect. So I mean I think even I mean it's great having him two hours. I, the first hour. Well, it was a lot of great information, but yeah, for him uh, being, you know, staying for the second hour, I think that's great. And I'm I'm going to try to find a way to uh, record CPAC because I'd really like to see his uh, his speech on on CPAC. So, and he has charisma. I like his demeanor. I really do because I really do like what he, you know. He's not afraid to bring the bazooka, and that's what I want to hear. I want to hear that tenacity. And to be honest, out of all the guests you've had so far. Um, in in my opinion, this is just my humble opinion, he's the first one to bring the A-game. Because some, some of the guests, they get defensive when you ask them the questions. And you shouldn't, because this is what you're signing yourself up to be. Or like when uh, a guest says they want to pick, you know, winners and losers, or they don't want to pick winners and losers, you know, that's eh, kind of a turnoff, you know. I don't want to hear that. That's just a, uh, that's so cliched. So I like that he brought his A-game. He was not defensive um, about, you know, me asking about his platform, asking about the contrast. Because, and the only reason why I think that's so important is because your show is a very popular podcast. We have viewers in all 50 states listening. I'm in North Carolina, so I don't know what's going on in Arizona. I don't know unless you, the candidate, are are introducing yourself. You're telling me I'm so-and-so and I'm running for Congress. And this is why I'm running for Congress, and this is what I will do differently for my opponent, and this is why my opponent doesn't deserve re-election, and this is why I am humbly asking for you to elect me to be the next congressman of District 1, for example. So I think that's, that's very important um, that candidates do that, and I think that they need to know in an interview when it's time Regardless of what you're, what questions you're asking them, Robert, they should be able to know how to kind of segue and say, let me get a little bit more into my platform before the end of the hour. Or, you know, let me at least give a contrast as to why I'm asking the great people of Arizona to vote for me. And I think that's something that candidates need to learn to do more on instinct and not just rely on the host to kind of guide them with the questions, if you know what I mean. They kind of have to be able to walk and chew bubblegum at the same time. They have to have that natural instinct on how to segue on their own and kind of say, hey, I'm grateful for the questions you've asked me, but before I go, can I spend a little bit more time on introducing my platform? And um, what, uh, what say you about that? I'll have to – well, my friend, I'd have to uh, – I'd have to respectfully disagree, and this is why, um, is that when I have a guest you – because know, we've had – I've had guests do that. I won't name them by name, um, but I, I, I have their names in my mind, um, and I've had guests that have done that. When I have a question that I want to answer, want answered, I want my question – when I interview, interview a, a candidate, I want my question answered. 
And I've had some in the past where I'd ask a question and they would strategically segue to what they want to say and not necessarily answer the question. And, and, and I don't like that. It's like, this is the question I posed. I want an answer to my question because one thing I always do is I always refer people to the, the candidate's campaign website. I always put a link here on Blog Talk Radio uh, for the podcast, a link to their website, and their website tells of what their, what their, uh, their policies are, where their stances are in a lot of things. So I like to ask the questions of things that, to be honest, is with current events and, you know, that, is, that are important to me as the host. So I generally don't – I mean, I'll ask some policy questions, um, you know, that I know that they'll – they have. But ones that actually do that, I, I mean, I, I don't like that. I want my questions answered, not not for them to set it up so they can just get their platform out. No, no, Robert, and that's my fault if I didn't clarify it. I did not say that they shouldn't answer your questions. No, no, no. I totally agree. No, definitely be respectful of the host and definitely answer your questions. And my fault if I didn't uh, explain it clearly. But what I meant is after they, you know, you ask the questions and they answer it, they should not have to wait for, let's say, someone else to bring it up. Hey, out of curiosity, can you spend a couple of minutes on your platform? It should be up to the candidate to say, Robert, as the host, may I request five minutes after you're done with your questions to talk a little bit about my platform. So I apologize if I didn't explain that clearly. No, I totally agree. I think that would be very disrespectful to any host who's dedicating the time or took the time to compile the questions that they want to ask of the candidate. No, you be respectful. You answer those questions. But once those questions are done, you respectfully ask the host, is it okay if I can add an additional five minutes to kind of go into uh, my platform? Because to be honest, most people are not going to just go to a website because they're not incentivized to go to a website ahead of time. Because if I'm in North Carolina, what is my incentive to check up on a race in Arizona? So that's why, once again, the candidate has to assume that the audience doesn't know anything about them, assume hypothetically or psychologically that you have no campaign website, and pretend like I'm meeting you for the first time and you're giving me an introduction. You're saying, I am running for the Republican Congressional District of District 1. I'm running against my incumbent, and this is why. And that's what I meant. And I think that's important because in North Carolina, we're not going to be dedicating all that time to be looking up websites on uh, candidates from different states because it's we're not incentivized to do so. We're more focused on you know, elections that are occurring in our city or in our respective state of where we reside. So I hope I clarified that. That was my fault if I didn't explain that correctly. No, I agree with you. If you're asking the questions and then they decide to avoid it and then segue, I find that to be very unprofessional. I find that to be very unacceptable. That's a very, that's very being very disrespectful to the host who has uh, taken a lot of time like you do, Robert, um, to come up with the questions. You dedicate so much time for this show, and that's why this is the people show. This is a, a podcast that over 50, 
that 50 states tune into every Wednesday. That's, that's what's so unique about this show, Robert. You truly make it the people's show. You've made it the people's show. And that's why we love you for it. And uh, sometimes you do get those kind of nasty candidates that in the beginning they seem nice, but when you ask them the hard questions, they duck, they dodge, and then they want to segue. And it's like I've said this before, Robert. If you can't handle the scrutiny and the pressure of the tough questions on a podcast, you shouldn't even be running for office. Well, yeah, and I mean, and you, and you do, and that's one of the things, you know, I, you know, I mean, you ask the hard questions, and, you know, you do, you know, put it to uh, the candidates. But, you know, I, I think you ensconced it, uh, you know, well this evening. I think he took it well, uh, and you're right. I mean, we have had candidates who have not really taken – uh, taking your you know your line of questioning so to speak uh, very well, but we um, you know but you know sometimes you know but we're, we're you know we we're, we're, we can be harsh sometimes but we're fair. I don't think that we we I don't think it's ever a point where we're never fair to the candidate. Exactly, and once again, that's why this is truly the people show. You are probably one of the most fairest. Um, you know, unconventional hosts that are out there, and, and people love you for that. That's what we want to hear. Um, you know, you turn on Fox, it's a one-side cheering cheering squad. You turn on MSNDNC and CNN, it's a one-side cheering squad. People want to hear real journalism. They want people who are going to truly be objective and are going to be fair-minded and are not going to event, you know, fake news. And you don't do that on this show. And that's why this is truly the people show, Robert. You have truly made that to be that. And speaking of that, later this year will be the 10-year anniversary of the people show. And that is going to be amazing. It's been an illustrious 10 years and many more glorious years to come. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I really got I mean, just this year is going so fast, and I really need to just start reaching out to, uh, you know, a lot of the p- folks we had in the past. Cause I really would like to uh, discover when that, um, you know, that first show and do that, that 10-year anniversary, uh, that, that 10-year anniversary show, uh, you know, just have as many people on as we had in the past. Not guests. I mean, that would be – That'd be impossible. I mean, if you go back and look at all the guests uh, we've had on on the programs for the years, I mean, it'd be impossible to get all those people squeezed in in one in one uh, one episode. Um, but if you know, just get people who are like you know you know past panelists, of course, current panelists, you know, on the program. Uh, yeah, I think that'd be fun to try to you know reach out and you know to find people uh, to do that. Absolutely, Robert. It's a great milestone. We all know that. You know, uh, there are some podcasts that have a long, uh, you know, have a long life, a shelf span, and some podcasts that just doesn't work out within the first three months and they're kaput. So to say that you've been on for 10 years, that is quite a remarkable and an amazing and a celebratory milestone for the people. Because this is truly, you've always made this show about the people. And that's so important that you do that. I think that's what separates you from everyone else is that a lot of these other podcast hosts, they want to make it a one side cheering squad. But then when you do that, there's no objectivity. And I'm tired of that. 
even if it's to the right or to the left, I want real journalism to come back alive again because I think real journalism died a long time ago. I want, there should be objectiveness in real journalism. And the fake news media, they're not objective at all. They're biased, and it's either one side or the other, but there's no middle ground. There's no in-between, and that's what's lacking from, from journalism today. And that's why I say real journalism died a long time ago in this country, it's fair to say. You are probably one of the very few last bastions, true journalism. Well, I really appreciate that. Yeah, June 5th, 2012. And actually, we're back to the original time. I mean, I used to do the show at 8 p.m., so this was the uh, original time when we did the show uh, 10 years ago. But, yeah, June 5th of 2012 uh, was the very first episode you know, of Bard's logic. So that would, um, yeah, so I'm going to have to try to start, you know, getting folks together for that. But that was pretty, uh, yeah, I can't believe it's been almost a decade. <laughs> Time flies. Time flies. And then also, I also wanted to talk about what Justin Trudeau did in Canada, which I hope they improved oh, no, what he has done. Oh, I hope they do. But that is just a wake-up call. I mean, he abused his emergency powers. He pretty much – he had dictatorial powers for almost two weeks. He was freezing the yeah. trucker's bank accounts. He was uh, detaining and unlawfully having his Gestapo arrest people without due process. And that is scary in a country that has promoted democracy for hundreds of years. Heck, in the Vietnam War – if you wanted to draft the Dodge and not go to Vietnam, you, get, you, you, you had refuge in Canada. So when he exerted those dictatorial powers, I mean, Robert, that was a scary moment. That was like, oh, what the heck? You would never think that. Yeah. You would expect that from China or Russia, but not, not from Canada of all people. One of our longest allies since we've been a constitutional republic right across the border of New York State. I mean, that's scary, Robert. That is indeed scary. And then Trudeau having the nerve to say that the little children that were, you know, having fun in the snow. And let me remind you, these convoys, they've been peaceful demonstrations. Not like what we saw in the Summer of Love in 2020 when BLM and Antifa were rioting and officers, even killing officers, burning down police stations, and he had the nerve to say these kids yeah. of the truckers are Nazis and they have signs of swastikas and they're white supremacists. Has Trudeau lost it? And it goes to show you that liberalism is not only a cancer that's plaguing our country, it's also plaguing Europe. I would say it's arguably plaguing the globe. Yeah, and it seems like it just, you know, it was uh, it was going, you know, I think, again, I've said this many times, and people might be, uh, you know, tired of hearing it, uh, but it seemed like they were, they were fine with things, you know, moving to the left in this world more slowly, but it seems like after Trump was elected, they really accelerated, uh, accelerated towards their, you know, 
the reset. You know what I mean? That you, that we keep hearing about the, the the reset. It seems like they're really accelerated it since Trump was elected. Absolutely, and they're getting a backlash. Even the Prime Minister of Great Britain is reversing all of the COVID lockdowns because the people are not tolerating it anymore. And kudos to the truckers and the convoys in Canada who, despite having their bank accounts frozen, being labeled as white supremacists and Nazis, which is horrendous, it's character assassination, they held the line. They held the line. They never gave up. And because they never gave up, Parliament put pressure on Trudeau and basically gave him an ultimatum in saying, you had no right to exert these emergency powers. Reverse them or we will have you uh, impeached. But that was a pretty scary two weeks. And for viewers, uh, we didn't have a show last week. So this is just a new development since the last time you know, we've been on the show two weeks ago. So, yeah, it was scary that it was right, you know, next door to the border of New York, Canada. And it just makes you wonder, liberalism, it's truly, it's a cancer. It's plaguing our globe. It's not just in the United States, but you see it in, in our Western European countries, and it's, it's not working, and it's backfiring. And, and all these prime ministers have to reverse their policies, or it's their head on the chopping block. Well, here's the first uh, first article I've seen here on Twitter. Just about three. I, I, it's, it's NPR, which I hate to say anything from NPR. It just says Putin says Russia will conduct military operation in Ukraine. He also warned any outside powers from interfering. And again, let me make the disclaimer: I'm not a big fan of NPR. The only reason why I'm even saying anything it's the first real article that I've seen about you know about this. Um, I don't know if I can even get to it. There we go. Um, and this was posted, this article was posted uh, tonight, uh, two minutes ago, frankly. This this article was just posted two minutes ago. It says, as diplomats at the United Nations implored uh, Russian Vladimir Putin to pull back from the brink of invasion to Ukraine, Putin announced in a nationally televised address that the country would conduct conduct a military operation in eastern Ukraine. Explosions have been heard by NPR correspondent in the capital, uh, Kiev, and the eastern uh, city of um, Kharkiv, close to the border with Russia and part of the city of Odessa in the south of the country. Explosions have been heard on the outskirts of Tromsorsk, a a town in the Dobas region controlled by Ukraine. Putin said the goal of the operation is to demilitarization Oh, the demilitarization of Ukraine. He urged Ukrainian troops to lay down their weapons and warned outside countries not to interfere. Putin added that Russia doesn't have a, a goal to occupy Ukraine, whatever, and that the responsibility for bloodshed lies with the Ukrainian, Ukrainian regime. Early Wednesday, a number of important blah, 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 blah. Um, so, yeah. So Not it, only it has that, Putin, oh yeah, and Putin just made a quote. He says, and I quote, you will have consequences that you've never had in your history if you try to intervene. That was his message to NATO in the United States. So he feels emboldened. And like I said, that's what happens when you lead from behind. That's what happens when you have a weak occupier in chief. That's what happens when you have 
a Biden in office. And that's what happens when you steal power. Power is never meant to be stolen. And history has proven time and time again, whenever it's stolen, the outcome does not end well. The right people do not steal the power for the greater good. They steal the power for the greater of evil. And history has proved that, going back all the way from the Romans from 4,000 years ago. Well, yeah, and as I said, you know, when, you know, since Biden was installed in the White House, we'll threaten America. And now it's proving to be threatening the world. Yes, it's scary. Like I said, we live in very scary times, Robert. Robert, I'm no spring chicken, and I'm not, I'm not afraid to say my age. I'm 42. I turned 42 in January. And uh, I was born in 80. And I was lucky. I, I, I lived, I could say, 40 years of my life very happily uh, as a proud American. Uh, I never knew what scary times like this were until until March of 2020 when the whole world changed, when everything got shut down because of the so-called pandemic. And it's scary. Uh, I, 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 I now can relate to people who were alive back then and gave firsthand accounts of what life was like in Europe in the, in the Great War or what life was like in Europe and Asia in World War II, or how life was in the United States in the Great Depression. You know, now I can understand because I would say, historically, we are on the most dangerous precipice in in the entire 242 years that we've been a constitutional republic. We are in very scary times, and I'm not going to lie, Robert. I wake up every day, I check my phone, I turn on the news briefly to make sure that our enemies are not nuking us into obliteration. I literally do that to start my day to make sure, okay, the end of the world is not coming today. And I mean that with no hyperbole. So I could go on with my itinerary. That is the scary times we live in. And I never thought I would see that. And I'm pretty lucky. I lived 40 great years of enjoying the land of the free and the home of the brave. And the one thing that Democrats always agreed on with Republicans until Obama hijacked the party in 08 is they believed in fighting against communism. They believed in fighting against fascism. They believed in fighting against socialism. It was the only thing that Republicans and Democrats always universally agreed on until Obama hijacked the party. And it didn't happen overnight, guys. It was a gradual takeover from 08, and then you go back to 2022. Uh, I bet you JFK Democrats, their heads are rolling in their graves and thinking, what has the Democratic Party turned into? What have we turned into? What the hell is going on in here? We always agree that fighting socialism and communism was one thing that we would always see eye to eye on. Even the Vietnam War, that was initiated by the Democrats, not by the Republicans. It was initiated by LBJ. Yes, Robert, I'm going to be honest, and I have no shame in saying it. I wake up every day scared 
not knowing what tomorrow is going to bring. And this is the scariest. This has been the scariest two years. Well, not two complete years, but scariest one year and a half of my life. And now I can finally relate to people who've lived in other dark periods of time and give firsthand accounts of how rough it was and what their experience was and what got them through it and what they have to do to survive. And um, that's pretty much what I wanted to say. And um, I will defer back to you, Robert. Yeah, and then when, I mean, when Trump was president, uh, Putin did not dare to advance on Ukraine, but he certainly did during Obama and uh, Biden's uh, tenure in the White House. Absolutely did. And he proved that America should never lead from behind. Absolutely. Trump was the game changer. And also, you're right. You know, you're right, Robert, and Trump was right. Why are we paying for NATO? Why are we flipping the majority of the bill? Why aren't our allies doing their fair share? And the Dems lost it when Trump said that in 15 and 2016. Oh, my God, what are you doing to our allies? Oh, they're a bunch of hypocrites, the Democrats. They just wanted anything they could, any, any nails they could try to pin to Donald Trump's coffin. But he's right. We've been spending hundreds of billions of dollars for 20, 30, 40 years, and our allies haven't contributed a penny. And he was the first president to not be afraid to say, you need to start paying your fair share. We don't mind helping you. We don't mind leading from, 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 from the front, not from behind, like under the Biden-Obama regime. But you've got to start paying your fair share. We, we shouldn't have to flip the bill on everything. And he wasn't afraid to say it. And he wasn't afraid to say, hey, you guys got to do a little bit. You got to do something. And he's right. Why do we have to be the policemen of the world? You know, we need to start taking care of our people first. You know, we, what Trump did was he, he, he revived nationalism in this country. The Dems like to call it white supremacy. No, it's nationalism because we lost our ways in nationalism. We, since the 20th century, we've been more concerned on bailing the rest of the world out. But what about us? Look at the VA. Look at our military people who bled and fought wars. And when they came back, you know, you know what the VA did? You know how, what our country did to them? We basically put them in the streets. We did nothing to help them. Nothing whatsoever. And so my argument is, no, it's okay to help out. But Americans must come first because other countries put their people first. So why shouldn't we put our people first? Why does that have to be deemed white supremacy? It seems that if you say anything that's contradictory to the democratic ideology, you're automatically a white supremacist. No, we're nationalists. We're proud to be Americans. And I'm sorry, but Americans get the help first. Then the countries that need help, you've got to get in the back of the line. That's how I see it. And it is getting close to the closing of the show, and so I'd like to give you the floor for the remaining time. I'd like to yield to it, but before I do so, I completely agree. I think uh, we had an amazing guest on tonight. He's uh, on point. Uh, he, he, he knows what he's doing, and he's not afraid to, to throw the punches. I really enjoyed having him on, and I look forward to being back on next week, and 
Let's see what happens with this whole Ukraine thing. We have a week uh, until next week's show. Let's see what, what happens. I don't know. Like I said, every time I turn on the news, I literally cringe or I turn on my phone and you, you I get, you know, app notifications from uh, different news outlets. I'm, 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 I'm always cringing at not knowing when the next bombshell is going to be. So I yield the remaining time uh, to our wonderful, illustrious host, the person who makes this the people show, Robert. God bless. Well, I really Have appreciate a that, but it's actually no, I appreciate that, Joseph. No, it's, no, it's actually your, you know yourself, Kelly, the people call in, you know, people uh, who listen. Uh, certainly, they they're the ones who make uh, it the uh, we the people show. But I really appreciate your kind words uh, uh, there, Joseph. Certainly. Uh, now, of course, Twitter's blowing up, and it just amazes me how many people are somehow trying to link this to Trump. It's like, and I say again, don't you realize that Putin did not dare to do anything with Ukraine? She did not dare do anything with Taiwan. I mean, my gosh, you know, North Korea, you know, they didn't really do anything of any consequence. You know, who knows? But, you know, there's somebody who uh, – Jimmy is you know, on Twitter. He's responding to an, the, an uh, the NPR article. Uh, he's like, look, and he makes a good point. He says, uh, they are invading. Wake up. We are no longer a world leader. We are weak, and all of our adversaries know it. Taiwan falls next, and Iran gets nuclear capabilities backed by the two new world powers, China and Russia. Thanks all that voted for Biden, and thanks Joe Biden. Certainly. I mean, Biden's weak, and they all know it. I mean, the man can barely talk. The guy is not in any position to be president of the United States, and you have a cackling witch who is the vice president. And then, my gosh, if anything would ever happen to those two, then you have Nancy Pelosi next in line. I have never seen such a lack of leadership. You know, or, or, or you know, is is you know, our guests and I probably would love better like see them representation in our country as what we have now. We are extre- yes, we are we are very vulnerable now. So I'm telling you what, people, buy your guns, buy your ammo. If you can, you know, if you can get yourself a, a, a an AR-15, if you can get yourself an AR-10, if you can stack up on ammunition, befriend somebody who's in the military. Because I tell you what, man, it's gonna. I mean, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, yes, you, I, I, for one, I think we just should stay out of it. Ukraine's not our, Ukraine's not our, um, you know, in our real house. I really don't think, you know, we should. Frankly, I mean, yeah, we should maybe send aid. You know, maybe send you know weapons and uh, and funds. Because uh, really, I mean, if you look at, if, I mean, if you really look at the military uh, of Russia. Um, especially, I mean, minus the nukes. I mean, yeah, the nukes are dangerous, but, I mean, I really don't know if they're going to, you know, we're going to have a nuclear holocaust. But um, but if you look at their economy, and we, I mean, we, we could cripple their economy. You know, I mean, they're not even, they're not, you know, so I, I'm not worried about that. It's, it's China who we're worried about. Uh, that, that's who I'm worried about. They're the ones, uh, I tell you what, we better start making, a, you know, some really strong alliances, not that I think Biden will do it, you know, with places like India, we need to really start, you know, bolstering, you know, our, our alliances around the world. You know, India, you know, Australia, 
Uh, now, Australia doesn't have that much of a big, you know, military as well. But, I mean, strategically, you know, that, that's where we need to – I think that's where we need to be. Um, but, of course, you have people, again, you know, blowing up on Twitter, oh, this is somehow Trump's fault. It's like, how? One, he's not president. Two, I mean, they never advanced on Ukraine while, while Trump was president. They knew – I mean, Putin knew better. So it's just it's it's absolutely it's it's absolutely crazy for people to to try to say that. Now anyway, so yes, well, we only got a few more minutes out to do closing, uh, you know, the, the, the closing out for the show. Just certainly appreciate everybody who came tonight. Uh, yeah, definitely go to the campaign website uh, of our guest tonight. Check out his book. I think you guys would you know enjoy the book. Um, you know, where you could get, uh, you know, from him. You can find it on the website, okay? And uh, his book is uh, Saving America Now, and you can buy it on Amazon uh, paperback for like $15, okay? And then you can get a Kindle version for seven ninety nine here on Amazon, okay? So, uh, you know, that, so if you want to buy the book, uh, that's where uh, that's where you can get it, um, and where, where you can buy. You can uh, find it on Amazon. So check uh, if you check the other editions. Let's see if you can get it in hard copy. Because I actually prefer hard copies. Um, no, you can only get it in paper. Oh no, it does say one hardcover. Um, wow, that's uh, you could possibly get it uh, hardcover uh, for twenty dollars, but the, the I don't. I'd have to see the people who actually sell it, but it looks like you could buy it uh, on Amazon. So I might want to might want to check that out um, tomorrow. You know, a payday Friday is only in a couple of days, so perhaps people could just take some time to uh, to you know to, to buy the book. I'd probably, the proceeds would probably help the candidate as well, or you could go to his website uh, where you can you know you could donate as well, uh, which. You know, yeah, you may not be in the state, but, you know, your candidate that you want may very well, you know, I, I'm not going to say have it locked up, uh, but, you know, you know has, a, has enough funding and is in good shape. Uh, and if you're in Arizona, if you haven't had an opportunity to uh, sign the petition to get him on the ballot, because, I mean, he's not on it yet. He's got time. I mean, they, he's got until April 1st in order to, you know, be able to get enough signatures uh, to be on the ballot. So if you're in there, you know, in, in a district and you're able to, you know, sign the petition, you know, sign the signatures to get on. Um, I know recently, uh, well, that, that, let's just say I've, I've, I've gotten to some political stuff lately. I won't say on the air. Um, but you're also welcome to send me uh, uh, messages here by going to the website. I haven't talked about the website in a while. You can go to www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com. That is where you can send me a message. There's a contact page. Go to the contact portal. Um, You'll go back there, and you will uh, see the uh, little elf there uh, who is opening up a portal. I think that's why I call it the contact portal. Uh, I I was a gamer uh, once upon a time, and uh, that's just something from a video game I used to play. Uh, and so just it's just kind of a neat picture. Yeah, I mean, if you go to the website, uh, bardslogic.com, it's not going to look like your normal, you know, 
patriotic, you know, talk show host website. I mean, it, it's like, what? It's got a space background. Well, you know, I love the space program and anything to do with space. Um, you know, again, you'll see the contact page. You'll see, you know, how you can contact the host. Um, you're like, well, that's a picture from a video game. But you know what? That's, it's, it's unique, and that's, that, that's fine. I felt like it. But anyway, I'm a little late closing things out, but I will close tonight, as I do every night. And that is with the song by Aubrey Ashburn. And she's doing painting now, I believe. You can find her on Facebook. Uh, to uh, if you want to purchase anything from her, no, I don't make any proceeds. No, I don't even talk to her. Um, I'm hoping I'm hoping to have a painting from hers myself one day. But anyway, uh, here is the music, and we will see you next week. Uh, take care and good night. Good night.